This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Holy cow. Today's a big day, news-wise. Oh, yeah. Trump has uh, a press conference. It's going 11 to try Eastern. To hopefully it, it's, clear it's, up. St- it's still on. It's still on. It hasn't been canceled yet. Good, okay, good. There's questions on whether this will actually happen. At this point, they said the there's the reporters broadcasting from the room all morning long. Yeah. So if they cancel it now, it'll be kind of a... It'll look silly. Yeah. But uh, he, boy, he kind of is in trouble. Allegedly. And you know what I think it is? I think it's the intelligence community pushing back. Could be. Uh, some reports have come out. In the, in the report that he got from the intelligence committee and that President Obama got, there was some information that Trump, that uh, Russian... Uh, what, Should I just go to it? Yeah, what would they call that, though? A Ru- yeah, go to it. Okay, we'll just read it here. So this is the news portion of the this show. This is crazy. Here. So multiple government intelligence officials report that an annex, so a supplementary document to the report that was put out last week, to yeah. the classified intelligence report on Russia's efforts to interfere with the U.S. election, contained unverified details of potentially compromising information that Russia has gathered on President-elect Donald Trump. Unverified details. Unverified details. The official report that the information originally came from a former British intelligence MI6 officer. Yes. And was eventually turned over to U.S. intelligence as well as other government officials last year. U.S. intelligence is uh, is in the process of cooperating the details of what the Russians may have, but the officials say that the former British investigator and his network is credible. It's a credible network. But now the information has to do with, yeah. like, did uh, it has to do with Trump going to Russia, dealing with you know business when you know, he's trying to build some hotels or some yeah. whatever business dealings he has there. Plus, with the Miss Universe pageant, he spent time there, and allegedly Russia recorded him on video doing things. Maybe there are some improprieties when it comes to financial dealings they may have right. proof of. That's what the report is trying to say. Now, it- all of this again. Yeah. Not verified, still trying to do it. But it rose to the level of importance that last week when President Obama and President Trump got their intelligence briefing on this issue about the the Russian interfering in the election, Mm -hmm. they also were informed about this issue, too. That's why it was reported, even though it's all unverified. It's all unverified. Reince Priebus said it's basically... This was this was the same information that the Republicans had on him. Yes. In what are they when they're trying to evaluate uh, you know his weak points to attack him? Hillary Clinton had all this information on him, and for some odd reason they're saying they put it in an intelligence briefing, saying it's now part of intelligence. Yeah. When really it was just research done by private eyes that a lot of people have known about. Yeah. Trump, Trump responded on Twitter in a rare all-caps tweet that <laughs> he said... all-capped it. Fake news, a total political witch hunt. 
Yes. The AP reports that both, uh, as I said, both President Obama and Trump were briefed on these unverified reports. Russia has denied that it has collected a dossier of compromising information on President-elect Trump. A spokesperson for Vladimir Putin dismissed the allegations at a news conference uh, Wednesday morning. President-elect Trump holds a press conference today. Putin's people says it's total fantasy. We have nothing on. They're even saying it's a witch hunt. And so now everyone's saying Donald Trump's using the same language as Putin. It's a witch hunt. Right. Mm. Now, last night. The yeah. Russian language? Yeah. What, what is, what is uh, witch hunt in Russian? I don't know. Okay. Look it up. <laughs> now, this was uh, – Ezra Klein is an editor at Vox.com. Right. He posted on Facebook. He goes, I've never seen any crazier moment in American politics than this one. If the report is true, it's a scandal unlike anything we've seen in American history. If it's false, it's an insane slander of a president-elect and it will launch a new level of war between him and the nation's intelligence services. Because oh, if it's true, he's compromised. The Russians have him over a barrel. Right. They now own him for the next four years. Glenn Greenwald, who writes for The Intercept, who also had to do, with, I think, with Snowden, yeah. some of the releases from him, says an anonymous person claiming to be an ex-British intelligence agent, agent working as a Democratic opposition researcher said anonymous people told him things. He goes, my broader concern is this tendency now to treat every leaked anonymous intelligence community claim as the truth. Mm. They call it a compromat. Compromat? Yeah, that's the Russian. It's word the for Russian it. word, which is a dossier with information that that on that on somebody that's they've compromised. Yes. So once they've got them in a compromat, they've got they've got everything they need to just. Do whatever they want with them. Yeah, they feel like you're ours now, so do what we tell you to do. But Russian has cleared the air because they say we don't do comp. The Kremlin doesn't do compromats. Well, we don't. We don't look for granted compromising the other side data. Of this, would they admit to this? No, right? No, of course not. So, but then Donald then quotes the Russians, just like he did Assange and others. So this is a huge deal. Yeah, but Donald will address it hopefully. And a lot of people are pointing to the fact that. Uh, you know, tax returns, the financial dealings of, yeah. a, of a president. These have not been vetted. Right. So do we know any of this? We don't know anything. No idea. But trust him. The, but again, this also could be just the intelligence community now because Schumer said yesterday the intelligence community is going to get him back. Yeah. And now they're getting him back is what others are saying here we go now you, this is why you don't mess with the intelligence community no because they could take something that's just in a newspaper and put it in an intelligence report and now intelligence officials are reporting crazy man oprah we need her she could sort through this oprah could fix this oprah could fix this also in other news uh, yeah. president obama spoke last night huge talk about that he uh that was he... a big event beautiful beautiful family i'm gonna miss them really I mean, politically, people have issues with him, but says he struck family. a hopeful but somber tone yeah. in his farewell speech. He mentioned uh, some of his achievements. He devoted much of his farewell address to warning of the many obstacles that lie ahead for the United States. He also urged citizens to fight back against a growing tide of partisanship, lamenting the trend of people becoming so secure in our bubbles that we start accepting only information, whether true or not, that fits our opinion instead of basing our opinions on the evidence that's actually out there. Here's, here's an example. We, we need to learn to look at another person's point of view. But laws alone won't be enough. Hearts must change. They won't change overnight. Social attitudes oftentimes take generations to change. But if our democracy is to work the way it should in this increasingly diverse nation, 
then each one of us need to try to heed the advice of a great character in American fiction, Atticus Finch, who said, you never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view, until you climb into his skin and walk around in it. It's a great... Um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, wait. That was no, different. That was a yeah, different one. Which um, version? Yeah, exactly. This. Did you hear him talk about his wife? Yes. That was beautiful. Yeah, he praised his wife so that she's been an example. By the way, his one of his daughters wasn't even there. Yeah. She had a test. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. At one point, he did say that was he goes, as a minority, he goes, we have a struggle that, that other people don't... Um, uh, kind of the idea that um, people don't understand no, that struggle without being part right, of it. But he you? goes at the same time, as a minority, you have to look to the, say, the white guy who seems to have everything going his way. And he's realize, got struggles right. where his, his you know, the world that he's grown up in is changing. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he is not the, you know, the, the influence that he has um, maybe taken for granted and his life is now changing, oh. causing stress. So we have to look at oh. that. And, you know, so he's trying to look at all viewpoints and see every, see, but that's know. what we need except, and he promised the vision and he had, yes, we can. And the dream, I mean, never got there, but, and he, had, he admitted it's, that, but it's, I think too, you have to be a political powerhouse and have that vision. Right. So now what we might have like with Donald is, is a powerhouse person that can push stuff through maybe, but doesn't necessarily, I don't think, have that vision. Right. So sadly, do we not ever get the vision and the power and the politic at the same time? Man, when's that going to align? I don't know. Or if it, because he talked about at one point that there's people that just won't get into politics no. because of the and device some, yeah. of nature. And all. some people don't want to hear that idea that you can't understand what a minority group has been going through. Right. Or, I mean... They just don't want to hear that. Well, I mean, at one point I was like, oh, this is pretty hopeful. And then I, I was looking yeah. through uh, Facebook looking for some some video clips because I missed some some of the early parts of the speech. And uh, you, you'd look at the comments mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, wait, yeah, we're still not talking to each other. People were – he mentioned at one point about uh, – play this clip. It's clip uh, eight. If you're tired of arguing with strangers on the internet, <laughs> try talking with one of them in real life. <laughs> right, so you go online, that video clip, yeah. go below it, people are arguing about, about who should be arguing about what. Ugh. It's just... <laughs> well, and people are so comfortable arguing online instead of going and meeting the person next to you and actually understanding their battles. Right. right. <sighs> it's sad because you've, you have a, a true, I think, what do you call him? Just visionary. He's a, he's a leader. He's a visionary. Right. Not necessarily, you know, didn't I mean, even talks about how he struggled politically to make it happen. But we live in a crazy political world. And now we have a president elect that may have Russian ties. <laughs> Holy cow. The confirmation hearings will continue today. Oh, boy. This Jeff is going to get crazy. Jeff Sessions, day two. Yeah. That was interesting. And this is going to get crazy because. We have Rex Tillerson today. But Senator Booker. Okay. Oh, that's right. Is going, the newer uh, New Jersey senator is going to testify against Sessions in about, I guess, his his racial tendencies. Yeah. Racist tendencies. Seriously? Yeah. That's what we're. <laughs> but, so, and everyone's saying Booker wants to be president. So this is him setting himself up to 
to to stir and excite the Democratic base. There you go. So wait, why couldn't they get this done in one day? Oh, because isn't one day enough? Well, interesting. Yesterday with sessions, the, half the time the room was was half full or quarter full because they're all out. They have to vote. Yeah, they've got a, they've got Congress a, is still in. You got to go to so lunch. I mean, there's still free lunches with, you know. And then it was, it was interrupted twelve people. times by protesters, so it just kept oh, going yeah. longer and longer. So um, KKK protesters, holy cow! That was kind of funny. That was crazy. Um, so today there's some uh, along with Sessions, Rex, Rex Sessions, Tillerson. Rex Tillerson. Uh, in uh, foreign relations, CIA nominee uh, Mike Pompeo in, in intelligence, and transportation nominee Elaine Chow wow. in commerce. Which is Mitch McConnell's wife. It's his wife. He will not recuse himself But he'll from be there. sitting right behind her, probably, right? No, he'll be up there. He, I, oh, I, think he he's going, I think he's going to question her. No. He said he's not going to recuse himself. So I, I assume he's in there. Uh, Mrs. Chow. <laughs> What I, uh, I have inside knowledge that she, you know, I kind of stuff. Tell us about your family life and your wonderful husband. Isn't he great? <laughs> um, so that's all going on. And Tillerson, by the way, is the guy that has deep ties to Putin. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, well, I mean, apparently a personal relationship with Vlad. Right. They've probably, I wonder if they've ridden horses together. Shirtless. And, and he on the beach. part of his job is to try to get around sanctions so that his company can continue to profit. Yeah. That was you know they there there was uh, reports that Exxon through a European subsidiary sold oil to Iran while the sanctions from the U.S. were blocking such deals. Right, and simultaneously because, they're fighting the Iran uh, deal. Yeah. Huh. So what he's saying is that because we did it through the European subsidiary, it's legal. Yeah, we didn't do three. And they're like, well, it's legal, but now but we're going to put you as Secretary of State, and is that really going to be the the kind of person that we want out there being the chief diplomat for the country <laughs> as someone who did, you know? So yeah. I don't know. These are questions they're going to talk to him about and see what he says. But everyone said Sessions was, you know, in trouble, and he looked great. Now, who knows well, what Booker – I mean, he did. He's, they he's a- dancing they, like crazy. They asked him very pointed questions about – uh, are you going to put journalists in jail? Are you going no, to... No, I won't. Are you, well, no, he said I'll have to... I, I'm not sure about that issue. I'll well, look no, into but, it. Well, but he also said... The, <laughs> he, he states the law. The law is this. And if they don't violate that law, we'll uphold... I mean, it's the reality is is this guy's a pro, right? How long has he been a senator? Right. He knows how to dance. He's And these guys, they then they all go back to the cloakroom and laugh and... Yeah. You got me on that one, Jerry. Even the guy they said that really kind of laid into him yesterday, they have a personal relationship and they're friends. Yeah. And you're like, okay. Well, well I think they even tell him. This is what I'm coming at you. This is what I'm going to ask you. This is because they talk about, well, I told you I was going to ask you this. So here we go. You ready yeah, for he was, this? When we met a week ago in my office, I said I was going to ask you about this. <laughs> so do you think the people that came in and protested and make, made a big, big stink and a big scene – do you think that looks better for him, or do you think that makes him look worse? I think for half the country, they're like, yes, and the other half, they're like, see? I think it's just annoying because you get kind of, kind of a flow to the meeting, and then yeah. it just stops every five minutes because some guy's in the back screaming. And it's almost like the minute he's making a great point, they do something. And then they wait, and then Lindsey Graham. I feel like feel that way on the show every day. <laughs> Is that how, yeah, I get you. It's, it's almost like we it's like we need pro- protesters once in a while. Like when there's a lull, we could just have somebody start, Hey, Matt's a jerk! 
It never ends. Hey, we've got an interesting topic coming up. Um, Public lands. We've talked about it on the show before, but it is a political, you know, lightning rod. And we're going to be bringing on an expert to uh, talk with us about public lands and the political implications. President Obama, about 550 million acres he gave away to monuments and public lands, more than most presidents ever have, and uh, it it creates some political issues. So stick with us. We'll continue this discussion. Politics continues. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Issues concerning public lands uh, trace back to the days of the Old West. But instead of disputes being resolved by gun duels, they're now governed by public policy. Uh, but by the way, many can get equally as violent as we saw um, up in the Mal- Malheur National Wildlife Refuge uh, when a, a group of people took over the refuge. And, uh, you know, it's creating some tension. Long, old issue, right? But it's also a political hotbed, and a, a lot of uh, – it seems like a lot of behind-the-scenes political you know, wrang- wrangling goes on. And uh, here to speak with us today is Dr. John Freemuth and Mackenzie Case, the executive – John is the executive of the Cecil D. Andrus Center for Public Policy and the co-author of the article – that we're talking about today. Dems and GOP are miles apart on yet another issue, public lands. And Mackenzie Case was also a co-author on that as well. She is a geographic information systems and public analyst at Boise State University. And John is also a professor at Boise State University. Welcome both of you to the show. Thanks for being with us. Glad to be with you. Thanks. Good morning. Good to have you. This, um, Boy, it is uh, it, it really in the West, and we end up talking about it. I we we're calling and doing this show from um, Provo, Utah, and in and in fact, we just uh, had an announcement about the Bears Ears National Monument um, from President Obama. Talk about. Uh, let's maybe just start with you, Professor Freemuth. What is? It's been political. It always seems to have been a political issue. But when we when we talk about um, the the public lands idea, where did the idea of public lands come from? How was it officially, uh, you know, how did it officially move into the public arena? Well, you know, the whole history there starts more with the growth of the country and the acquisition of land as as sort of we grew as a country and and moved west. And the early policies there was was just to acquire it through sometimes through through purchase or war and then get rid of it as as quickly as we could for development, for homesteading and Mm. so forth. But about the time to simplify it a little bit for everybody, um, you know, we don't want to get into trivial arguments about this, but think Yellowstone. That was sort of the first great attempt to say, well, wait a minute, we want to keep some of this land for the American public for various reasons, pleasuring grounds and so forth. So you could say in a way that that's when the idea of public land for the public really begins. So it it was almost this idea that as we would conquer new territory, certain parts of the territory were seemingly more valuable for the public. 
Uh, yeah, I think you're right. And of course, at the same time, though, and that that's what leads to these great arguments today that you're having in Utah over the bear's ears. Some people still think that that land uh, is more valuable for development of, of resources. There, there used to be uranium in that country, still is in some cases, or other people just as soon sell it off. Yeah. So those debates continue. And and um, I guess as, as we look at this, because public public is, um, is has to be argued and perceived, right? So which public are we talking about? Oh, ex- exactly. Right. And then there's a weird battle we always seemingly end up getting into about local versus kind of federal. Uh, oh, in yeah. fact, and and and. Talk about that, because that this was a big deal. I noticed just looking at uh, President Obama, I think, was it like 550 million acres he set aside um, in monuments and in other ways? Is that accurate? Yeah, Yeah, that's tricky there. But your question about local versus uh, national is a very good question. But so many of those acres have to do with the Pacific Ocean and the fact that around islands, because of the the law regarding how far a country can govern outside of an island property and and it has a lot to do with ocean depth and so forth, that creates a lot more acreage than really most people think of when they think of acreage on the continental landscape, like in the Bears Ears. But yeah, if you're a local, especially when it has to do with many, what many Utahns know about, which is timber harvesting, mining, um, activities like that, grazing, some folks, especially in local communities, think those uses should be dominant on our public lands outside of our national parks, probably. Whereas other people say, yeah, those uses are okay, but what about these other uses that we all value, like ecosystem protection and recreation and so forth and so on? Mm. So that's that that leads to that local national argument okay. sometimes. And Mackenzie, it it seems like um and this was in your article, it's there's almost a rebellion versus a steward side to this. Um cuz th- these these are farmers that need to graze their uh their their cattle. These are water rights that have always been deadly in the west. These are there's a lot of issues going on, but then there's the need to be the good steward and collaborative. Uh, you also have outside organizations. How politically this just seems like chaos. Um, yeah, you can, I mean, it's worth noting that there's been multiple stage pressure rebellions. There was one in the 80s under Reagan. You know, so this isn't really anything new. Um, but I do think there is a greater move toward collaboration. Um, you look at the Bears Ears Monument, but you know, not everybody is happy with that either. So it is political in the sense that there are parties, um, outside organizations, um, conservation groups, tri- you know, tribal coalition, um, ranchers that perceive that some of their grazing rights, right change, recreationists that believe that they might not have, for example, ATV access. I know that was a big issue. Um, but I do think that there is a greater sense of um, collaborative movement um, lately in, con- in, in some of these monuments. Um, they did it's worth noting that the um, monument actually doesn't include everything that the tribal intertribal coalition um, wanted and some conservationists wanted. So it is a balance between who you know how much how do you incorporate every um, party's wants and needs, mm. um, you know, while <laughs> you know doing something that. Uh, balances ecosystem needs too, and that's tough. Oh yeah, well, and I didn't even remember that. But the tribal needs—that's a whole other mm-hmm. uh, complicated part of this. Um, plus, I, I guess one of the one of the things that 
um, this is so we, we look at all of the conservationist needs, the rancher needs, the local needs, the federal needs, all these different needs. Plus, then we break it into, I guess, political affiliations, Republican, Democrat. How do those tend to fall out, Mackenzie? I mean, are Republicans usually, I guess, more wanting to have non-federal intervention and Democrats wanting more federal intervention? How does it play out politically? Um, I think that's the trend lately politically. And John can chime in since you may remember more of this than I do. Um, you know, Roosevelt was a Republican, and of course, parties have changed over the years. Uh, but lately, it's certainly become more um, politically divided. Um, and there are Republicans, of course, that differ from their party. Um, the GOP party had a platform that does um, call for the facilitation of transfer of public lands to the states, but the newest um, Department of Interior pick, assuming he gets confirmed, um, Ryan Zinke, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right, has come out against public lands transfers to the state. So it, it you know, it depends. Um, but yeah, I'd say that lately it has become more polarized. Doesn't mm. necessarily mean it has to be, but yeah, it you know, it's like any issue; it becomes polarized over time oh. as parties establish their turf. Yeah, uh, uh, John, what do you what do you see happening? I guess going forward, where does uh, Donald Trump and his administration stand on um, some of these issues? Well, playing off what Mackenzie already said, and, and at least talking about what we think is going on right now, because <laughs> we're like everybody else trying right. to make sense of it. Um, uh, Donald Trump has some some sons that are very interested in their sportsmen, and the the word is that that's one of the reasons um, uh, Zinke emerged a potential interior candidate. Um, and I, I'm guessing with Donald Trump, which is not much different than Bill Clinton or Barack Obama and probably even George Bush, presidents aren't aware of a lot of this right. stuff unless they have a lot of public lands experience. As Mackenzie said, Teddy Roosevelt was one of those. And so I think uh, President-elect Trump, soon to be President Trump, will be built relying on other folks for a lot of that. And right now we're thinking – um, that he is not so interested in engaging in public land warfare. In other words, transferring the land to the states, trying to sell them off. He's got other things he's trying to accomplish, and I'm yeah. reading it a little as um, he's going to let some other people take the lead on that, uh, fighting some of those battles, um, and not maybe trying to go into a place which could cause him to have to spend a lot of attention uh, you know, fighting back some of the, I would say, crazies from the, right. the far right on some of this. Well, and two, I guess the political clout. Uh, one thing I noticed, and correct me, I'm sure I'm wrong, but <laughs> it seems like uh, Clinton snuck his monuments in kind of at the end of his term, and it became a feather in the cap. It seemed like that. And then it almost seemed like Obama, we'd been hearing about Bears ears for Bears, Bears Ear forever, and it almost seems like it's being snuck in again. Is it being well, snuck in, or is it? Yes, does it take that yes long to create no. it? Yes and no. I mean, yes, I, I think in retrospect, uh, the first Clinton National Monument proclaimed at the South Rim of Grand Canyon for you folks in Utah, where yeah. you actually used to be a national park ranger in that country. Yeah, that's right. Um, Grand Staircase Escalante. Yeah, I mean, it gave the impression of sort of being done and surprising everyone. Um Believe it or not, the country around the Bears Ears, I've got a study of the National Park Service from the 1930s that talked about hmm. making Arch Canyon, which is part of that, a national monument. 
and uh, there was talk even earlier of an Escalante National Park. So that part of your gorgeous state yeah. um, has always been talked about that way. And so I, I wouldn't say it was snuck in, but it, yes, you are correct. As with Clinton, it was done at the end of a president's administration when they're into legacy mode. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense, right? So now we're going to leave the legacy. And I love, like, t- to me, it seems like a Teddy Roosevelt doing it is one thing because Teddy also was a sportsman, a hunter, right? I mean, he, he and he knew the, he knew what was going on. Well, yeah, he was probably our greatest environmental president, right. you know, and I, I in class I'll always say, and he was a Republican, right, to remind people that, yes, Republicans <laughs> did great right. things on the environment, but he was what you said. He also was the first president to have the Antiquities Act to deal with, mm. and he said – well, you know, the Grand Canyon, um, thats the whole thing is of scientific interest, so I'm going to proclaim a lot of it as a national monument, which to some people said, whoa, was that the purpose of that act? But the courts backed him. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So so that, I mean, I guess that's part of this process too, right? Is And we even see that in the lawsuits now. I mean, this kind of, I can almost feel... It doesn't end, but I sense with a Trump coming in, there will be some weakening of federal control. Well, you may be right, and this is an interesting question, is can a subsequent president reverse the uh, acts of his predecessor? Current thinking right now are two things. No, probably not, but two, it's never been tested in the court. So if President Mm. Trump decides to repeal the Bears Ears, everybody sit down, get ready for a huge, (laughs) long court argument. Um, Most people think the Supreme Court would probably say, no, the appropriate action there is for Congress to repeal it. There you go. Well, because I I guess uh, presidents can make monuments, but Congress makes parks, right? Um, yes, that is true. As a general rule, only Congress can create national parks. What also people forget is they're, they're kind of familiar, and certainly you folks in Utah are. A lot of your gorgeous Red Rock parks were first national monuments like Zion. Mm-hmm. And so people think that the Antiquities Act means the Park Service, but it does not anymore. The BLM has, has a lot of national monuments, and so does the Forest Service has a few, too. And so, but yes, the president has been given the power to create national monuments by Congress through the Antiquities Act. Congress could repeal the Antiquities Act if they want, but that's okay. another huge political fight. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay, one more question, and then we'll take a break. Uh, Mackenzie, is, and maybe you'll understand or be able to educate us on this. What is, how do we determine if it's a federal land versus a state land? Because does the state just get kind of whatever the feds don't want? Uh, no, I mean, there's it's historically designated federal land. Um, and there's always the argument that you know, some of these state transfer people make that the states own the land in the first place, but that's not the case. Um, so it depends on which agency, but typically federal land is under the Department of Interior. That's what probably what you guys are familiar with, uh, Bureau of Land Management land. Um, National parks, of course, um, that are designated by Congress. Um, and then under, and people forget this too, it's kind of interesting, there's two different um, agencies. There's the Department of Interior and then Department of Agriculture, which has the Forest Service, and that's also federal land. Um, I hope that wow. answered your question a little bit. But it's an, it is patchwork. Um, 
you know, oftentimes there is state land in between federal land. Um, sometimes there's private land in between federal land, which can create access issues. And sometimes um, the Public Service the BLM will create easements for access. But, it, you know, you'd have to look at there's no it's not like there's a fence. <laughs> right. And just because it's the land is federal or state doesn't mean possibly an easement can't be created for ranchers, farmers to still move their cattle and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and on, I mean, the Bureau of Land Management starting out as a grazing agency. Um, so there's grazing on most, a lot, well, maybe not most, I, I'm not 100% sure on that, but on a lot of federal land, it's multiple use. So, mm. you know, in theory, that means that there's multiple competing uses. So you've got great grazing on a lot of federal land, you have mining, um, you have logging, which creates our revenue, um, you have recreation, of course, there's the value that wow. creates political tension with. Um, ecological health of those wow. you, 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 it, it is hard. <laughs> but you see it there, don't you? You see the almost the bureaucracy of it, and but also how, how it was created. I mean, if something was about um, the agricultural value of the, pro, or the land, there's one, so that makes sense to go under agriculture. Then there's the interior and the Bureau of Land Management. Um, boy, that's a lot to run, and um, a lot of potential confusion and chaos as well, on top of the fact of all the other competition and and issues going on. We will take a break and and continue this discussion. Think about it. Man, chaos, and it has to be organized, and it's still, it's your, it's your land, folks. It's your land. So how do we create a partnership? How do we cooperate more effectively? We'll come back and continue the discussion with, uh, with our experts on that subject. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. We are talking public lands. Joining us is Professor uh, John Freemuth, um, who is a professor of public policy at Boise State. And Mackenzie, um, as I I got to make sure I get this all right. Where's my paper? Mackenzie Case. Mackenzie is a geographic information systems and public analyst at Boise State University, supporting the U.S. Geological Survey Gap Analysis Program. Together, they wrote an article that uh, is really about public lands and politics. Um, it's, again, it's public, right? Public lands, but public lands means we need to make political decisions. And we appreciate both of you being with us. Thank you again for being with us. You bet. Um, when we talk about this, uh, and and I guess, John, we'll start with you. Why it seems like it would make more sense to have these decisions made or made locally, right? Where the people are. So correct me. Why, why, why aren't we turning it more to a local decision-making process? Well, I think, I mean, obviously that perspective is completely legitimate, but I think the feeling is that a purely local decision would probably um, not allow some of the other you know, let's call them ecological or non-development values to have a voice. In other words, 
would we, and maybe I'm overstating it, but I'll make the argument this way so people can get it. Would we have ever protected the Grand Canyon if locals were the only voice? Mm. I mean, there were a lot of minerals and uranium mines in and around the Grand Canyon. And so the protection of the Grand Canyon became a national issue because it was viewed as a national, if not global, resource that ought to be protected. Not to say that locals didn't want to protect it, too, but but at least in the West, that's been the tension. Locals tend to, and understandably, want more resource development because integral to their economies was timber, mining, ranching, all of that. So you can't blame them at all, but the question really becomes, what are the public lands for, and Mm. who gets to say what they're for? Boy, what an interesting dilemma, because they also need to eat, right? So on a local level, they need to feed their family, run their cattle, make a living, and um, yeah, so it might make it that we do whatever we have to do to make money from the land, not just think it's beautiful. Yeah. And they're, and, and this is really complicated stuff, but their feeling is um, they, they don't necessarily are, are opposed to environmental values. What bothers them, I think, is their traditional uses have become limited more and more. We're not harvesting as much timber from what, not, not as big an issue in Utah, more on the, on the coast with the timber. But the global timber economy changed in the 80s. It wasn't just in, in, environmentalists trying to stop logging, though there were a few of those. Yeah. Um, mining, of course, is a necessary resource, but where we do it becomes very important important. Do you want to mine right next to Arches National Park? Uh, You've got tar sands all through that country, which, you know, is a pretty valuable uh, oil resource, but to pull it out of that sandstone area can create quite an interesting mess, too. Mm. And it's, um, is it, is it equally, I mean, I guess if the decisions are being made back east is the argument, these are people that that only have maybe 5%, 10% of their state is a public land. So they may not – but in Utah, it's a lot higher. In the West, oh, yeah. it's a lot higher. Is and, and do you see that, Mackenzie, is causing some of this tension? Just the, the West feels like people don't understand what they're going through, but the decisions are being made back East. Sure. I think that's definitely part of the tension. Um especially, you know, in today's political climate, there's definitely a um, D.C. versus the rest of the country vibe going on. Um, Public lands issues become more complicated because, like you mentioned at the beginning of the show, um, they are our public lands, which means it's not just people who reside in that state. It's people who come out from out of state um, to recreate, um, visit national parks. Um, So there's that tension as well. Mm. Um, And then... then Bureau of Land Management, uh, the Interior, the Ag Department, these are all in play. Plus, I'm assuming local leaders, state leaders. Mm-hmm. In fact, in the news recently uh, in Utah, the outdoors show, outdoorsman expo show that's a really big thing that produces like $20 million in services every year for the state of Utah. They're coming out saying, look, we're not going to hold our expo here anymore because of the conservation approach that Utah's taking their their fight against bears ear um i mean so you also have very strong organizations con- you know conservationists uh environmentalists um what what do they play what role are they playing in this whole process i'm going to play a pretty big role and and also worth noting they're 
there are interest groups on both sides. Like there's, there's pretty big cattle lobbies, and there's organizations that represent um, logging interests or oil interests. Um, but on either side, um, you know, both locally and in D.C., they do um, they do lobby quite a bit for public lands issues and, you know, whatever values they're representing. Um, and, of course, they have their supporters as well. Um, and I think, in, I think you can see with the administration change and, you know, worries about public lands issues, um, there's, you know, they're starting to um, start talking about that issue more and rally their supporters. So you may see more tension there, especially yeah. with administration changes. and concerns about what that means for public land. We're, we're speaking again with John um, John Freemuth, who's a professor of public policy at Boise State University, and Mackenzie Case, who is a geographic information systems and public analyst at Boise State. Um, John, is, it, uh, is there an example out there where you see this stewardship, this cooperative stewardship working? Yeah. It's Where? all over the place. Yeah, let's now, hear about it's, that. It's hard to generalize about it because it comes and goes. But, for example, in Idaho, we're a very big forest service state. Mm. We have a lot of, you know, the heart of the Rockies runs through Idaho. Tetons, yeah. And we see these various forest collaboratives of, of having different levels of success here in Idaho. But the point is um, the environmentalists, local folks, county commissioners, um, the timber industry and so forth, to simplify it, they got tired of fighting and seeing everything in the courts. And they're trying to find a common space to be able to produce some timber, but at the same time doing it in a way the way that creates jobs, keeps the water clean, um, restores the forests that that have been burned and overgrown and so forth. And the the good part about it, but I don't want to overstate it, is it creates relationships where people are able to stand together and say, we here agree with this and we're willing to stand together to, to move move this forward and it, it reduces some of the you versus me battles. Mm. It's not a silver bullet, but you see it in various places throughout the West, uh, down in New Mexico, Arizona, they pop up as people realize that they're tired of fighting and seeing things all uh, locked up in courts. There are groups who love to go to court. Let, let me make that clear. This isn't this isn't happy times, but it's refreshing to see this go on. Hmm. And, and that is, there's some hope there. And do you, uh, what, what advice would you give, John, for the rest of us um, that enjoy the parks, that enjoy the outdoors, but we don't necessarily want to get into the political battle? Well, the... the to me, the fundamental thing, and we need to face this in our country on all these issues, is learn to to appreciate where someone else is coming from, even if you don't agree with them completely. Understand why local communities feel that they're not being listened to anymore about some of their concerns, and let us not forget our, the tribal interests mm. uh, who were here before the rest of us, right. all of us. Um, and have it, it doesn't mean you have to agree with everything, but if you learn to understand where someone's coming from, it allows you to create some space in the middle where maybe you can work things out. Now, if your attitude is, I got to win everything, then you're not going to think that way. Right. And we've got plenty of folks on both sides who think that way, too. And it, yeah, and then it's just more contention. And uh, as we wrap up, Mackenzie, you, you mentioned, I believe, uh, the um, Zinc, uh, who was just picked, I guess, by uh, Trump, Donald Trump, as Secretary of Interior, and the Ag Secretary. I don't know quite who that is yet. Have... Uh, they actually haven't picked one. Okay. Yet. As yeah. As far as we know, and we don't know who that's going to be. 
So do you, do, what, what do you, uh, I guess, you felt you feel like zinc might be open? To... Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I, he definitely has a mix, there's mixed reactions from both sides of the issue. Um, but I think with any incoming secretary, you know, you should, anybody in, interacting with the political side of it should, you know, attempt to um, communicate with them and find common ground. Mm. So I, I think we'll see what happens, but I think there's the sense, especially from some of the sportsman groups, that he is open to discussion um, on various issues. That's great. Good stuff. Well, we appreciate your insight and your teaching. Again, Dr. John uh, Freemuth and Mackenzie Case, thank you for walking us through the politics of public lands. They are our lands, folks. And again, if we can't communicate, if we can't get together, if we can't see both sides of the argument, then, uh, then we just continue the battle, just continue the fight. And, you know, half the time you'll be right and half the time you'll get what you want. <sighs> Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, with all this political stuff, are we just becoming too sensitive? Uh, even Jenna Bush, daughter of President uh, Bush, um, she got in trouble recently making a comment to – was it to Farrell, to the, the rapper, singer? Yes, Pharrell Williams. Pharrell she was Williams. interviewing him on the red carpet at the Golden Globes and she said, now you're interviewed for Hidden Fences, right? And so what she did was mixed up Hidden Figures, which is the story of the African-American women working at NASA, and Fences – Another movie which prominently features African-American actors and actresses. Right. I mean, simple, you, simple mistake. Simple mistake. But she, she had a lot of blowback. People were mad. And yet she wasn't the only one that said hidden fences. Michael Keaton also made that mistake later on when he was presenting. So did he? he did it over, over the microphone in front of everybody. Um, so <laughs> last night, Stephen Colbert put together a trailer of what... The movie Hidden Fences would be like. Cool. So we've Let's got that. This summer, see the movie white people at the Golden Globes we're talking about. You're not listening to me. I'm trying to explain it to you the best way I know how. A fence does not go into space. Hidden Fences. Can I have everyone's attention for a moment? Thank you. They're going to be asking us questions about our work. I think that's pretty reasonable, given that we're taking a fence and shooting it into space, and that's never been done before. Based on the true story of people who think all movies about black people are the same movie. Starring black actors, black actresses, Kevin Costner, and introducing a fence. Mr. Zelensky, I'm a Negro woman. I'm not going to entertain the impossible. And I'm a Polish Jew standing next to a fence. It will be traveling through the stars. Hidden Fences, based on a true story. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We got a big day for you. We are still tracking Rex Tillerson's confirmation hearing. Yes. Uh, Donald Trump, in about an hour, I believe, will be holding one of his first press conferences since... In six months. Yeah, in six months. Tillerson is winning five points to two so far. Is he five to two? Yeah. He had a great uppercut. I noticed that. That was amazing. The last time Trump had a press conference, he was complaining that Hillary Clinton hadn't had a press conference and that the uh, Russians should hack her email to figure out... Except they want him to have a conference so that they could ask pointed questions and maybe get an answer. Yes. But nobody knows better the power of the filibuster answer where you just... Well, the, the other thing out. was they were supposed to uh, kind of outline how he was going to separate himself from his businesses. Yeah. But that's going to be overshadowed by right. this stuff in the I last 24 he, hours. I think he said he's going to leave us in suspense. <laughs> oh, yeah. Of he's how he's going to do that. He's doing that. Um, so we'll we'll get to that uh, and um, talk about Rex Tillerson just as, as we find out more information about his hearing. Uh, also, sessions will start up again. Yes, so, apparently there's day two of Jeff, day se- two, Jeff Sessions. The Cory Booker story. We just didn't quite get enough yesterday. Yeah, that, that'll come into play. And today we're going to be talking uh, with a guest about importance of leadership and thinking, how to uh, become uh, – how to change your thinking as a leader and hmm. think like a leader of the 21st century, really. I guess um, wonderful guest joining us who uh, is one of the top eight thinkers on Harvard Business Review's hmm. top 50 list of thinkers. How do they measure thinkers? Well, it's just uh, brain capacity and output. Is there a test? Mm-hmm. Nice. But you have to be strapped in, and then they put these electrodes. It's horrible. Sounds like Inception. Yeah. Yeah. They put toothpicks in your eyelids and clockwork orange. And- yeah. How did you... Yeah, I've seen this. You must have been a part of it. We'll get to all of that fun. um, Plus, of course, some other news that you probably don't even need to know. We call it uh, empty news. Matt Townsend news. Exactly. Not empty, like empty. M-T. Two initials. Hmm. But first, let's get to the real news. With Terry South. Terry, what's going on? During his confirmation hearing to become President-elect Donald Trump's first attorney general, Senator Jeff Sessions on Tuesday said that he does not support a blanket ban on Muslims entering the United States. After saying he would be willing to tell Trump no and not be the president's mere rubber stamp, Sessions answered questions on whether he would support a ban on Muslim immigration, as the president-elect has proposed. A session said, I have no belief and do not support the idea that Muslims as a religious uh, as a religious group should be denied admission to the United States. Noting, however, that Trump has clarified his position to be that the U.S. should restrict immigration from Muslim countries that allegedly support terrorism. Mm. At another point, session said he would not uh, he would be ready to recuse himself from any further investigations of Hillary Clinton's private email server, considering his active role in a Trump campaign that repeatedly used lock her up as a mantra against their rival. Now, he did say he doesn't believe he ever said that. Yeah. That was just locker room talk. Yeah. He did admit he had locker room talk. No, that that was something else. Locker up talk. He didn't admit that. that. Um, Retired Marine General John Kelly, in his uh, hearing yesterday, suggested Tuesday... Uh, that he, for what, he's the Department of Homeland Security, that President-elect uh, Donald Trump's proposed border wall would not be enough to stem the flow of undocumented immigrants. A physical barrier in and of itself will not do the job. It has to be really a layered defense, he said, advocating for additional protections in conjunction with Trump's proposed U.S.-Mexico border wall. Who said that? This is John Kelly. Hmm. Okay. Says who? 
Senator or the General John Kelly. Don't you think Trump would say, of course, yeah, we'll do it all. We're going to do visas. We're going to do borders. Kelly also said Tuesday he accepts the intelligence report with high confidence that Russia interfered with our election. Yeah. So he's kind of deviating a little bit. That's a big moment. Tillerson stated it. John Kelly. No, see what he says. But Tillerson just Tillerson said that said very that point. Now. Yeah. That's cool. And, tr- and, and Trump's spokespeople have said that he accepts it also. Yeah. Now maybe today we'll hear Trump say it. This goes back to Kelly's, what's her name? Um, Kellyanne. Kellyanne's Conway. point that why do you all b- listen to what he says? Don't listen to his words. Listen to his heart. I don't know how we'd listen to a heart. But America's police officers say they believe their job has become more difficult in recent years, according to a new report by the Pew Research Center. The study, called uh, Behind the Badge, contends that cops believe the changes the change was caused by both the increase in targeted fatal shootings of police officers, as well as the public criticism and protests over high-profile police shootings of black Americans. Ninety percent of officers surveyed said their colleagues are worried about their personal safety. That trend began, uh, researchers say, even before the recent shootings of police in Dallas and Louisiana. Mm. Interesting there. San Francisco has been trying for years to have filmmaker George Lucas build his Star Wars museum there, but ultimately Los Angeles won out. The coveted museum, officially called the Lucas Museum of Narrative Art, will feature fine art, popular art, illustrations, comics, and Lucas's own collection from his films and other movies at its future home at Exposition Park near the University of Southern California. It's been unofficially dubbed the Star Wars Museum. I don't think anyone's going to use its real name, despite many uh, other planned features and collections. Matt, the price tag on the Star Wars Museum. What do you think? Uh, Too much. What do you think? Uh, Los Angeles next to USC. Uh... uh, 400 million. Something close to a billion dollars <sighs> will be spent to put this museum and to establish the Star Wars Museum. Why? Why really? Not? Yeah. It looks like a huge spaceship. Well, I mean, I, I get it. I get it if it's going to be like Disneyland. Yeah. So he needs yeah. the revenue stream, obviously, since he sold Lucasfilms. For $2 billion to Disney. Hmm. So he's going to use a billion. It's going to be in L.A. Yeah. Traffic. Right. And I'd like to go see it. It's a lot of traffic. Just take your Millennium Falcon. <laughs> if only. Ah, oh, man. Wow, okay. So uh, Tillerson's on the grill. Apparently he agrees that Putin fails on human rights, the headline yeah. says across yeah. the TV. So. I mean, and, and this is the guy that really has the relationship with Putin. He has the Friend of Russia Award. Donald said he had a relationship with Putin, but then they found out he really had never met the guy, I think. Yeah, they both appeared on the same episode of 60 Minutes. Oh, wow. But they were both pre-recorded interviews, and it wasn't like there was a green room. So it's not like they talked to Putin in Russia and they talked to Trump in Jersey or New York or wherever. Hmm. And Tillerson's laying it out because everyone's worried about it. So, yeah. you know, what are your ties? And he one of his uh, one of his lines that that's getting all this attention. He said in his opening statement, while Russia seeks respect and relevance on the global stage, its recent its recent activities have disregarded American interests. Hmm. And then there's the scandal now about Donald may be compromised. Because the Russians may have information on him. Video and financial dealings that may be issued. But those, of course, are unsubstantiated at the moment as they continue to research. This was locker room talk. Certainly I'm not proud of it. But this is locker room talk. Uh, Does anybody know where Billy Bush is? 
Because maybe. Is Billy Bush connected to the Russians? I don't know. There was rumors that Breitbart was trying to hire him to be their new entertainment reporter. Oh, don't do it, Billy. <laughs> but I don't know if that where that went. Yeah, okay. Really good. Uh, so let's just get to the, some of the empty news. Um, contraband, we, we talk about this all the time, where people are trying to th- throw stuff into prisons. Yeah. Like drones might drop a, you know, a cell phone into a prison yard. It gets you in trouble. Yeah, if they can catch you. Yeah. The Oklahoma Department of Corrections reports that they discovered a large quantity of contraband hidden in several footballs and basketballs. Who? Corrections Director Joe Alba reports that on December 25th, an officer at the Dick Connor Correctional Center observed inmate Marcus Mitchell walking through the common area with a large bag of items, like kind of like Santa, because this was on Christmas Day. <laughs> the officer searched the bag and discovered it was filled with six footballs and two basketballs. The balls had been cut open, filled with contraband, and taped shut. Hmm. Shame on them. Santa's little elves. Right. Uh, corrections officers then reviewed the surveillance footage and discovered several individuals throwing the balls over prison fences. In the bag, 39 cell phones, three MP3 players, one Bluetooth earpiece, wow. nine cell phone chargers, 20 USB cords, five yep. packs of rolling papers, four cigars, and nine and a half pounds of tobacco. Wow. That was... Uh, a lot of stuff in well, there. Well, like when you're throwing a ball into the yard over the fence, right? What is that? Do you just think those people are being charitable? Hey, here's a football, boys. I don't know. That's crazy. By the way, who needs a Bluetooth earpiece? Well, it's convenience. I guess they don't want brain cancer. Yeah. Well, they don't want to put alleg- that phone next to. Allegedly, their- <laughs> there are some people that feel the Bluetooth isn't tested quite enough. That's true. Maybe you'll get it anyway. Well, um, just advice. Don't sneak contraband in. It's going to ruin a Christmas. Were there any copies of the video game Contra in there? No. Oh. No. No. Sorry. Uh, Con Air was, they had a, they did have a video of Con Air. Isn't that uh, a hairdryer? I don't know. Is it? Hmm. Uh, Arlington teenager opts for push-ups after being caught with pot. Police officer in Arlington, Texas, gave a teenager the option of being cited for marijuana possession or doing 200 push-ups mm. after the boy was caught smoking pot. Well, who wouldn't opt for push-ups? I couldn't do 200. I'd probably just pay, pay yeah, the fine. You can do your 30, and then you just have to take a break, and then do your next 30. Well, probably 27. We'd be there a while. Yeah. It's better than a ticket, right? Uh, Police Lieutenant Chris Cook said Arlington Officer Eric Ball was working off-duty detail at the theater Monday night when he encountered the teen discarding something that looked like a cigarette but had a strong odor of marijuana. Hmm. You give me 200 push-ups and I won't get you in trouble. I won't put you in jail, he said. He says Ball played football under coaches who used push-ups to ensure discipline. The teen opted to try the exercise. Ball found the boy's mother inside. The women hugged and thanked the officer. Raiza Paredes posted a video on Facebook showing the teen struggling to complete push-ups. We had coaches that used leg raises. Oh, yeah. So That's if horrible. you, in Little League football, if you jump off sides, you got to lay on your back and then raise your legs up That's and just hold it there. And then you go, this is because you guys can't keep, you know, stay still and all that. And you, your, your stomach is just on <laughs> fire. So yeah. why did she post video? Was she on Facebook like, she was like here's my son. I'm so proud of him. This is a him. great lesson being taught to my child. I'm so proud. My weed-smoking child. Um, <laughs> well, at some point you're looking at the officers having you know, probably thought it was 
maybe funny to do yeah. that. But you look at it like, what lesson is he going to learn by throwing him in jail? That's right. Well, and what? Le- I mean, really, do you throw someone in jail for a joint? Really, because I think a lot of states don't even look at that. Right? That's yeah. not a. I'm not going to waste my time on that. But teach the point. Give me 200 push-ups. Let's go. I, yeah. A ticket would not teach me a lesson. 200 push-ups would. Oh boy, would it? That's horrible. But now I hear in the hearings with Jeff Sessions, Attorney General, they're going to ask him. They talked to him yesterday about – They asked him a lot about drug charges and do you feel like – now they'll say, do you feel like it's okay to just opt for push-ups instead of sending someone to jail? And he'll say, I don't know what you're talking about. A Russian man – this is a great love story. You got to love this. A Russian man who drove his car into the airport terminal. Whoa, hey. He was just driving around in his T-Bird. I saw, I saw this show before. It was a heart-to-heart? <laughs> I think what the it, show was? this was heart-to-heart or <laughs> possibly Chips. Mm, it not, sounds like Chips just driving music in not, sunny California. It could be. Not on a funky guitar, though. Go ahead. As he's driving his car into the airport terminal uh, and reached departure gates, um, you won't believe what he did. The guy drove through the terminal doors, rammed his car through the terminal doors Wednesday because of love, he says. Video footage shows a battered Russian-made car drive past the check-in desk in the airport and into the departure gate. He was late for the flight, right? Before it reached the railway terminal outside. The 40-year-old driver told a court hearing that he had planned his route carefully. I had to get to the platform, he said. I was fighting for love. He said his lady friend was arriving at a railway platform, and this was his way to greet her. That's great. I mean, tell me that would not have made a moment. I think he wanted to document it, too, so that he they could have it for posterity's sake. Yeah. And uh, so we have the audio from that, if we you're did. interested. Great. And I would do anything for love. I would do anything for love. But I won't do that. Sounds like he drove through a Jamba Juice. Yeah. There's a lot of liquid on the windshield, apparently. Hopefully those Girl Scouts were okay, too. It sounded like Girl yeah, Scouts. That sounded like is, Girl Scouts. Is meatloaf big in, in Russia? You know, I know that uh, the Eagles are big in Russia. Yeah. Because oh, I lived there for a couple of years, and one of my big ins with the Russians is that I was from California. Ah. Uh. Hotel California. Yeah. That's, oh, really? They'd always say that oh, to me. Oh, my heck. You sounded like... The guy that drove his car. Vlad. I try to do impressions every huh. once in a while. Um, I didn't know that he would know the words in English. I mean, I guess that's great. That's the only, I mean, he's just singing the song. I would do anything for but love. Aren't there like, I don't know, it's meatloaf. Hmm. It's love. And that, that album was objects in the rearview mirror appear closer than they actually are, something like that. Actually well, yeah, are. obviously. He the longest title. Yeah. That's fit. more That's more words than are actually in that song. I know. Don't you think, though, that that was the most loving act? He wanted to make a, a scene, really. He wanted to show this woman how much he loved her. He planned his route. It's not like he's just driving crazy. He seemed like he was going fast. Let's be real. Probably faster than you're supposed to go in an airport when you're driving. It was a little reckless. 
What careless. Do you think they thought when they just when he drives through the doors. I mean, that's a big moment right there. That's a serious commitment right there. Now, if only there. See, when the videotapes go back, they're going to put it in slow motion, and that'll make it even more epic than it was. Yeah. Totally. And it, it always looks more epic in slow mo. Couldn't he have just bought her some nice flowers or something? Right. If if you like her, then you better put a ring on her. Don't drive your car through the airport and then get arrested. I think that was the next song on his CD yeah. was Beyonce. All the single ladies. <laughs> all the single ladies. See? That's the information you get on the Matt Townsend Show. You don't get anywhere else. We will take a break. When we come back, we're talking leadership, how to act like a leader, think like a leader. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you lead healthier, happier lives. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today's breakneck, breakneck pace of change has an immense impact on leaders and as a result on the organizations that they're running. Imagine trying to run a leader in the midst of all of these changes, globally, environmentally, economically. All too often, people remain stuck in outdated mindsets and modes of operating, even after others recognize the need to change. Erminia Ibarra is the author of the book, Act Like a Leader, Think Like a Leader. She's here with us today um, to teach us about some of ways that we can, you know, rethink or reformulate uh, some leadership thoughts and uh, hopefully use those thoughts to develop better strategies as a leader. We're so honored to have you, Erminia. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much, Matt. I'm very thrilled to be here. Now, you um, you have a lot of experience in leadership uh, just through your your work at Harvard and teaching at Harvard, but also just organizational uh, leadership. What, what is it? Because today's day and age, we, we can't use even the paradigms we learned 20 years ago in business school probably wouldn't work today, would they? Probably not. Probably not. One of the things that has changed a lot is just the complexity of the problems that we face and the extent to which you really need to tackle them through a variety of different specialty fields and disciplines. So it's, it's very, um, our boundaries are very porous. It's very hard to get anything done within the context of a small group or even the confines of an organization. What um, what drove you to, to work on the book, Act Like a Leader, Think Like a Leader? Well, uh, very simply, Matt, teaching executives um, for years and years, all who were facing the same kind of issue, being a very successful and very good um, specialty expert, uh, you know, a marketing leader, uh, a finance person, um, somebody, a fantastic operations engineer, uh, and really struggling, uh, wanting to have broader organizational impact, but really struggling to make the transition to leading um, across the lines and to leading either at a higher level or, in fact, just simply uh, leading beyond their immediate knowledge base and discipline. Hmm. Because that's what we do, right? If I have a marketing director that's incredible, I want to promote them to be a vice president but that doesn't always work. Just because I'm really good at a specialty task doesn't mean I know how to be an organizational leader. Yeah, you know, that's the classic problem, and it still exists. Um, But it's not just a problem um, 
when you get promoted into a senior role, even if you stay where you are, and this gets back to your initial point, even if you stay in that marketing role, organizations are trying very hard not to work as silos. And the only way you can really add value and maybe get yourself considered for that future promotion um, is, is, is by changing the way that you work now and not when you have kind of moved up into your Peter principle. Mm. Is it, I mean, because I guess to determine if uh, your leadership skills and abilities work, it's it's got to be about results, right? But you, you need more than just the result today. Don't you have to be getting results that also can help others get results today as well as being able to get the same results tomorrow or better? <laughs> you confused me a little bit there. Um, <laughs> I think part of what you're talking about is the difference between performance and potential. You can perform and get fantastic results doing the same old, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you will get equally good results and perform as well in a very different role that requires a different skill set. Hmm. So, you- so that's you know that's a big issue. The, the other thing is, quite frankly, the only way we learn how to do new things is by trying them when we don't know how to do them very well. And there's always going to be some immediate hit to your um, at least very short-term results. And that's the chance both people and their bosses and their organizations have to take if they want to develop people's leadership capacity. It is So leadership, um, I, I, a lot of times it seems like we're telling people that you're kind of born a leader, it's a natural trait. But you're you're almost talking more like it's skills. It's too. It's something we can learn and change. Yes, absolutely. Um, there is no evidence whatsoever that you're born a leader or not. You might be born more extroverted and perhaps more outgoing or even loud and outspoken. Um, but that is far from being the full basket of things that you need to lead. Yeah. Talk about some of the the leadership. Uh, skills or tools that we we need to kind of work on to to make sure we're acting like a leader and we're thinking like a leader? Well, um, working with other people is pretty much the basic thing. Um, And that usually means working with people who are different from you in terms of their backgrounds and their um, educational uh, background and their uh, interests. Uh, being able to have conversations with them, hard conversations, being able to exchange feedback, uh, being able to understand what's going on with them. Um, those are very basic human qualities are very critical for leaders. Um, it's a set of soft skills uh, that we tend to talk about that have to do with being able to tune into people. But there's another basket that sometimes doesn't get as much publicity, which has to do with being able to think strategically and see what's going on in the bigger, broader world so that you can make decisions and set direction and, and um, select and choose how you spend your time on the things that are going to matter most to the future of the organization. Yeah. Is, um, I, I guess, what the, it's so interesting because you're not a leader, I guess, if you don't have people that are bought into following you, if they don't trust you, if they, if they don't understand what you need them to do. Um, you, so the people skills are there. Do, do you do you see a difference in just generations? Do you see anything uh, different about maybe the millennials or the X Gen versus the older kind of leadership gen or style? Yeah, I think I, I think it's a little bit overdone. You know, I, I think all of us are really wanting the same kinds of things to have work 
that has meaning, um, to have um, uh, some kind of balance in our lives as opposed to just working around the clock. You know, they're pretty basic human needs that everyone uh, has. Uh, sometimes the millennials are just a little louder about it, and because they are younger, not because they are millennials, they're more likely to leave if the job and the company doesn't suit them because they don't yet have all of the things that make us stay stuck in things that we no longer want to do, like mortgages and family spending mm-hmm. on us. Yeah. So I, I, I don't think it's a lot about being a millennial. I think it's a lot about being, um, about being young and more outspoken about what matters. Yeah. In fact, um, you you in a lot of your research, you 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 kind of created a concept you call outsight. Talk about that. What what do you mean by outsight? So outsight is a way of contrasting um, how we learn. Um, there's two ways. One way of learning is by introspecting and reflecting on who you are and what you want to do and who you want to be and what matters to you, and that can be very valuable. Uh, but it definitely anchors you on what you've done in the past. Um, when you're moving into things that are kind of new arenas, you actually don't have any kind of internal base for really um, deciding and figuring out whether it's for you or not until you try it and until you get some what I call outside, which is the fresh perspective you get from doing new things and interacting with new and different kinds of people. Um, it's kind of um, just simply... Uh, going outside the box hmm. and, and yeah, and gathering insights into something you don't understand, something you don't know, and uh, so I guess this is—it seems like a, a, in your mind a pivotal uh, principle of leaders moving forward is the ability to to go to those places unknown to them and gather new vision. Yes, because we pigeonhole ourselves. We assume, oh, no, I wouldn't like that because I'm introverted, or, oh, no, I can't do that because I'm this. Um, and, in fact, it, it, may not, it may not be true because we see from people who get thrown into things that are not their natural calling that they, um, they oftentimes surprise themselves. Mm. Do you sense we do that a lot? I mean, I see it in my own consulting work that – a lot of times we'll use some assessment, you know, and they're great in a way, but they also do pigeonhole us. You know, I'm an introvert. I, 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 I like to learn certain ways. I, but I, it also maybe, yeah, gets me to a point where I don't try new things. Exactly. I agree with you on that. And it's, um, it, again, but if our, if our organizational development experts are telling us, yeah, you need to know if you're highly sensitive or introverted or, but there's more to that. Even the introvert needs to feel uncomfortable once in a while. I mean, I guess part of that is being a leader too, right? Is being able to sit in discomfort, make sense of it. Well, I think it's how you, you're going to feel discomfort one way or another in the world in which we live. And it's an issue of how you interpret that discomfort. Are you going to interpret that as, oh, it's, this is not me. Let me, you know, stick to what I know. Or are you going to interpret it as, oh, I'm learning I don't have this yet, so it's going to feel uncomfortable. And if you can do more of the latter, um, you will learn more and develop more your capacity to lead. Hmm. Learning and leaderships, hand in hand, it sounds like. Um, let's take a break. We are speaking with er- Erminia Ibarra, and she is walking us through um, her book, Act Like a Leader, Think Like a Leader. We'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion about outsight. Uh, in fact, giving you some more tools about how you can Experience things you're not used to and let it uh, influence your thinking and your leading. 
We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are talking about how to act like a leader, think like a leader. That is a book by Erminia Ibarra, and uh, she uh, was was the Cora Chaired Professor of Leadership and Learning and Professor of Organizational Behavior at INSED. And uh, also prior to INSED, she served on the Harvard Business School faculty for 13 years. She was uh, ranked one of the top 50 thinkers, number eight, in fact, among the most influential business gurus in the world. So, Erminia, we're honored to have you on the show. Thanks for being with us. Just correct a little bit. It's INSEAD. INSEAD. Business school. Yep. Is it? Because you did a lot of work uh, teaching business, you know, business leaders. Is that where your your work on uh, Act as a Leader came from? Yes, it is. And yes, it is. Instead, is an international school that's based in France and in Singapore, and it also in Abu Dhabi. Ah. And uh, we teach people from all over the world in English only. That's neat. Is um, you you then mentioned last uh, before the break about this outside principle that we need to somehow. It's one thing to use the insight we have from what we already know, but at times we need to go outside of ourselves and find new information, new ideas, new experiences to influence us. In the model, I know you break it down into actions that we have to take as a leader, and three of the actions are – they're about redefining your job, your network, and yourself. Talk to us about those. What do you mean, um, and and how do we go about doing that? Right. Um, So I'll I'll take them one by one. Yeah, please. Um, Those are the ones. The first one is how do you redefine your job? The best way to learn is on the job. It's not by taking a course or reading a book. And so if you really want to learn some new skills, you need to tweak your job or how you define your job so it creates a ground in which you can experiment um, with uh, some new behaviors. Um, Oftentimes we define our jobs by focusing on what what our boss absolutely (laughs) needs us to do, and then the rest of it is what we really enjoy. What we enjoy most is what we're best at, and so those are not necessarily learning opportunities. And so I advise people to redefine their jobs by looking for nooks and crannies in the organization where they can sign up for a project or a task force or something that exposes them to different people, different ideas, different ways of working, and you can do that extracurricularly as well by um, working with a professional association or an industry group or anything, even... even um, a community organization that will put you in a different role um, and then allow you to practice uh, skills that you don't necessarily practice in your day job. And, and then so that in the time, one. it sounds like your giant, your job, it starts changing as, as you change, as you grow and gain more outside. Yeah. Well, as you gain more outside, especially say if you're kind of out talking to people in different parts of your organization, it will necessarily give you ideas about better things or more value-added things you can do within your group. So it will definitely change not just how you think, but what opportunities you can take advantage of. Hmm. Love that. Uh, And then you say redefine your network? 
Well, as well, most of us have networks. You know, we're kind of busy, and we, we kind of go on default mode. And so most of us have networks that are made up of the usual suspects, people we've known for a long time, who are in our work group, who we see regularly. And that, that's not a network that stretches our mind. And it's also not a network that allows us to contribute a lot because um, they're the usual suspects. <laughs> and so if you actually start tweaking your job to extend beyond the usual work that you do, you will find lots of uh, new people to meet and networks to tap into that will feed your ideas and will feed your innovativeness and, um, you know, even expand your sense of who you are and what you might do in the future. Because, hmm. I mean, really, it's it, it's back to relationships and uh, other experiences. Um, you uh, also dis- discussed that we should redefine ourselves. Well, what, the way I'd like to talk about it is be more playful with your sense of self. And, and this gets back to what I mentioned earlier. We tend to pigeonhole ourselves as this kind of person or that kind of person, and it keeps us from exploring other things we might do. Um, being more playful with your sense of self is another way of saying getting out of the comfort zone and trying things uh, that may not feel very comfortable, may not feel very authentic, may not feel very you. Uh, at the present time, but again, provide opportunities for learning. We've we've seen, and, and we discuss this a lot on the show, about kind of the need, at least in the United States, and I think it's globally, that nowadays with technology, we, we really can stay in our bubble. In fact, the technology actually enhances our bubble, and we only have to listen to the things we want to listen, read the things we want to read, do what feels comfortable for us. Um, and I think that's human nature, kind of natural, not to we don't necessarily always want to be slapped down or overreach, but is um, do, do you this out this outside idea seems like something every human being could do, right? And I mean, I guess that really is. It's almost like we're reframing leader as everyone. Is that true? Yes. Is is that because as we look at our leaders here in the United States, Donald Trump's getting a lot of noise. And what would you recommend to um, a leader, uh, I guess anywhere, because, again, this is a global issue that we're dealing with, to to be able to open the doors more and to be able to be more inclusive? How How do they get others to do it? You, you can't really get others to do it until you've done it yourself. I mean, let me backtrack to your earlier question. Um, in, in certain ways, we can all be leaders. I mean, you can define a leader as somebody in a formal position, or you could define a leader as somebody who has uh, influence on um, some collective goal. And so in that sense, all of us can be leaders, and all of us can get better at developing our capacity to influence and impact positively a goal that the collectivity cares about. So in that sense, all of us can be. Um, In terms of inclusivity, it's very hard to advocate that if you don't do it yourself. Hmm. And it's a well-known fact that most of us have friends and networks that are very similar to who we are because, you know, that's that's how people click. Um, We want people who share our values and who share... um, a number of things that we have in common, but that's quite limiting. 
And so that's one of the reasons why a place to begin is by broadening out your network. You can't be inclusive unless you are. Yeah, and yeah, because you can't know what you don't know. And it's like you have to press on the edges of your your understanding. Um, a lot of us, too, it seems like we – this is about, I, you know, redefining is the word you use, our identity in a way almost. We have to redefine how I look at my job, what my job is. But it's, it almost sounds like we need to make sure that we don't um, – that we keep more malleable borders where we allow other ideas in that instead of being so afraid of the ideas. Yes, I would agree with that. Do you, do you have any, I mean, how do you see as a leader that teaches leaders, how do you see this impacting your clients? Let me, can you ask the question again? Yeah, you bet. You bet. How my clients, well, you're working with clients, teaching them to be a leader, teaching them uh, to go after outside and to integrate it into their lives. How have you seen this change the businesses that they're leading? Um, what are some examples you can give us of the people you work with? Well, um, I can't give you individual examples, but um, in, in some cases, it helps them um, help their businesses uh, collaborate more effectively across the silos and across the lines. Uh, in other cases, it helps them figure out that they're in the wrong place and that they need to move elsewhere in order to fully develop their leadership. Mm. Yeah, and innovate, right? Because, I mean, it's not going to be the same tomorrow, so we probably need to be cutting it and uh, doing whatever we can to, to innovate and to create uh, better results. Well, we appreciate your time. Erminia Ibarra is her name and the book, Act Like a Leader, Think Like a Leader. Interesting insight, that whole concept of outsight. It's one thing to know something about what you know. It's another thing to go, how do you go into those darker areas, those dark regions of our knowledge and start, you know, pushing in there? Interesting stuff. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back, do a little Coach's Corner. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. As we just learned about the concept of outsight, um, looking into the dark, you know, not like the negative dark, but the unknown, it's hard. Businesses have got to stay alive. So they got they can't just keep, you know, recreating the same thing. And a great example of this is Oreo. Yes. Oreo has reached into a dark corner of the universe – to pull out another product. Some people think they try to innovate too much. Maybe they overreach. They, they're overdoing it. Because some of their, their flavors they come up with are really <laughs> quite gross. Give me an example of what's happening now with Oreo. Well, this is happening in England. It's always it's not in the United States. Well, they test it elsewhere. and yeah. Then they bring it home. Then they bring it home if it's if it's good enough. The, the Cadbury egg mm. in the UK is something... Very special yeah. in their society. Yeah, don't mess with it. It is like they, they there's a whole different chocolate that they that yeah. they have versus what we have. Theirs is apparently tastes better. They have a real it egg is. center. Ours is more, <laughs> I guess, watered down. I don't know what you would say, mm-hmm. but it says uh, that the creme egg is one thing that can't be approved on. 
improved it's on this perfect. article says the wonderfully thick chocolatey shell with that tantalizingly sweet fondant center with an e the you know, C-E-N-T-R-E is just beautiful. Seeing those little purple and red foiled nuggets of happiness on sale in January is possibly mm. one of the only things that gets you through the winter blues. Mm-hmm. The creme egg is one of, and it just goes on and on about how great this is. But now what they've just revealed is there's a new Oreo flavored Cadbury egg. Really? And it's the creme egg? You go, you get the same chunky shell. Mm-hmm. Only this time packed with delicious Oreo cream and cookie center. Yes. I, I'm going to give it three thumbs up. And instead of the terrible foil that comes, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the foil you the just foil. peel off. These eggs come in some futuristic plastic cup construction with no doubt protects the egg from all potential bumps and cracks. So it is an Oreo cookie shell. Yeah, it, so you have the same chocolate shell. Inside is a cream cookie center. Packed wow. in a plastic 25-cent Easter egg. Oh, I'm, I'm okay. on board. I think that's a great idea. cup covering instead of the foil covering that normally comes with it. So mm. it's uh, on sale in Canada. has been chomping away in these for at least a year. But the point is that you can now get your hands on them in the UK. No word on if they're coming here. And as has been uh, true in the past, uh, they won't. We never get things. Those sound so amazing, though. I'll try it. If they if they want to be a sponsor on the show, we're willing. We're more than willing. I would buy it for myself. I would buy it for my coworkers. I would offer it as a peace offering. I'd buy one for every finger on my hand. <laughs> Usually, you can get this kind of stuff on uh, Amazon, eBay. Oh, you can still do that. Yeah. I bet you Amazon could. There is there is Amazon UK. Mm. If they'll do that. Um, another story I found: cruises. Have you been on a cruise? Love cruising. You've, have you given a speech on yes, a cruise? Yes, I've taken groups okay. on cruises. Jeff, have you been on a cruise? I've been on two cruises. I know you said you're trying to set one up with your whole mm-hmm. family. It's I think been it's Cruisem. Cruisem is cruise plural. Em. Okay, cruise sorry. I. Yeah. I also have been on a cruise. That was incredible. It was fun. Yeah. No, no sickness. No one fell off the boat. That's the story. Everything's you good. Hear. Lots of food. Um, there are themed cruises that are out there. They're uh-huh. kind of interesting if you want to get uh, involved in those. This one, uh, a meow cruise. Meow. You can bring your cat. And why? Uh, why? Well, it says sadly. This is weird because it says sadly, no feline friends are permitted on the cruise. But guests can swap stories and tips and show photos of their of their fluffy to their heart's delight. So you go with other cat lovers to talk about your cat, but you don't bring your cat. Okay, so you know what this means? Then obviously the cruise is going nowhere. It's like <laughs> it's a cruise that has no really beautiful destination. I think they serve cat Actually, food to their guests uh, too. It goes from Tampa, Florida, four nights, a stop in Cozumel, Mexico. And you, and you don't bring you, your cat, you, you, you just, just talk, talk about, about it. it. Yeah. Another one is a Freedom Cruise. Okay. Uh, you can go with Newt Gingrich and his wife. Okay. Um, Oliver North will be there. Oh, wow. Um, there's some Fox News people, I believe, they are going to be on the boat. Can you talk about a cat on that cruise? Um, pro- probably. Probably. I think the freedom comes in when they let you leave so at you, the end. You go on the cruise, they'll have panel discussions, lectures, and okay. lots of elbow rubbing with potential celebrity political type people. Oh, wow. So yeah, th- then you'd be in the know. You'd be on the inside. Another one's uh, titled 70,000 Tons of Metal. It's a heavy metal cruise. Oh, boy. So you can listen to heavy metal music. That I don't could think be they'll. Cool, I guess. It's mainly um, karaoke and belly flop contests. You know, that sounds mm. like Dawn right there. Uh, it sounds like a lot of cover bands. And a lot of belly flopping. Yeah. Um, the quilt seminar at sea. You can go on the cruise and Ooh. quilt. Wow. 
Um, it's a four. It says rock stars in the world of quilting will be on board to teach classes and even sign autographs. That's cool. Don't forget so, your loom. It, you'll go to Juneau, Alaska and Victoria, British Columbia, so it's pretty. That's beautiful. It's in the summer. See, the political um, one, you know, you're taking people you can't stand on TV and you can't get away from them for a week on a cruise. No, but right. those people would love them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Star Trek cruise. Oh, boy. So it's like a Trekkie conference, yeah, but on a boat. Yeah, um, What's this one? The uh, If you want to find, this one's called the Conspiracy Cruise. Ah, cute. So you got, uh, if you want to discuss crop circles, chemtrails, and who shot JFK, go on a week-long cruise. See, and that would be fun. You can talk to people <laughs> about it. That would be your... so much fun. <laughs> Do you want to see where they implanted the chip? Not really. Yeah. Thanks, though. So, yeah, Conspiracy Cruise. There's my cruise. chip scar right there. Do you want to hear about the night I was abducted by aliens? Yes. I wonder if they have a conspiracy cat cruise. You could probably still talk about your cats on Did that cruise Did you guys also. hear what happened to my cat? I just thought that was odd. There's a whole cruise. Crazy. You don't bring your cat, yeah. but you get to talk about your cat. I would do the conspiracy out of all of those. I think I'd do the quilting myself. Be very quiet. I pleasant. would just be testing all the quilts. Just take naps. Professional tester. Well done, Terry. We will take a break, my friends. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger, and cruise to the horizon. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Got a great one for you today. Uh, we're going to be talking about relationships, and you got to watch out for manipulation. Hmm. It's easy to get really caught up in and being a manipulative partner. Not even intending to, but you, you want what you want. And, you know, you, you're used to getting it, so you just go into your manipulation. Um, Matt, I believe we talked about you not wearing that shirt. You agreed that mm-hmm. you weren't going to wear that shirt anymore. Yeah. So, just so, you know, I just want you to be true to your word and, and have what you want. So, if you don't want to, you know, wear that shirt anymore, that would be great. But I like the shirt. My mom gave me the shirt. The shirt's my favorite thing on earth. I just want you to be true to yourself and to your word. Isn't that what you want, Matt? Isn't that what you want? Are we doing a role play? This is a role play. Brought to you by the Matt Townsend Show actors. Our comedy troupe. Our comedy troupe. Uh, That's a great example. You're like telling me what I want. And I like this shirt. I love the Def Leppard shirt. Can a guy not wear that without getting you all mad at him? We've got uh, an interview we did with a man named Stephen Stosny. He is really um, an expert, an amazing uh, writer, but also a researcher in the in the field of relationships um, and also difficult, uh, kind of dysfunctional relating. He does he did a lot of work teaching compassion to criminals and inmates. And he found ways to get them to come and truly, instead of continually fighting against their own belief system, how to find peace in their compassion for their victims. It's pretty amazing. Wow. If only they could have learned that lesson earlier. And the the sad thing is, though, most don't even learn it after 
and they just keep the stories going and they keep hurting and harming others. So it's an interesting interview. I think uh, you will definitely like it. Stephen Stosny will be up in a bit. But first, uh, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? Thanks, Matt. The last time Donald Trump held a press conference in July, he suggested that Russia should hack the emails of his opponent, Hillary Clinton. Now, 167 days later, more than 1,600 tweets and at least one canceled press conference. Later, President-elect Trump is scheduled to face the press at 11 a.m. Eastern, which has passed, of course, and... There's 10 flags up there, but there's no President-elect Trump. So he's a little little late on the uh, the timing here. But that's fine. It's just TV. Uh, he'll undoubtedly get questions about Russia again after his briefing last week on Russian election uh, meddling by the top uh, U.S. intelligence officials and new unverified reports that Russia has been grooming and sharing information with Trump and has collected, quote, compromising financial and personal information on him. He is also expected to talk about repealing Obamacare, the border wall, and his use of Twitter. During a Senate intelligence hearing on the Russian attacks, FBI Director James Comey stated that there was a there was successful uh, penetration of GOP groups and campaigns and of some old RNC domains. There was evidence of hacking directed at state-level organizations, state-level campaigns, and the Republican National Committee, but old domains of the RNC, meaning old emails they weren't using at the time, he said. None of that was released. The FBI chief further added that there was no clear sign that the Trump campaign or the current RNC was successfully hacked. He also stated that the hackers got far deeper and wider into the DNC than the RNC and that similar techniques were used in both cases. Hmm. The Senate Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation announced Tuesday that it would postpone its confirmation hearing for Wilbur Ross, President-elect Donald Trump's nominee for Commerce Secretary. The hearing originally scheduled for Thursday morning will now, now take place next Wednesday. The postponement was apparently due to the lack of paperwork from Ross, which has happened in two other cases yeah. now that they've postponed. He is a billionaire investor and former banker. They're trying to go through his records. They're moving too fast. Right. You're slowing this down. down. You got to slow down. We got to get, you know, we got to do our reviews. Uh, Dylan Roof, who was convicted in December on the charges related to the 2015 killing of nine black worshipers at the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina, was sentenced to death Tuesday. The decision to hand Roof the death penalty was unanimous beyond a reasonable doubt on all fronts, including that the crime was racially motivated. Roof 22 is the first person sentenced to death for a federal hate crime. And that, by the way, went really fast because he was representing himself. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, he wants to die because he did ask if you guys want, I'll I'll stay in jail. You know, life in prison is an option, so he, he kind of gave that sort of uh, okay. way of pleading, but he yeah. didn't really beg greatly for his life. And finally, uh, Facebook wants to show more ads to people who watch its videos and start making money for the people who supply it with those videos. Industry sources say so the social network is going to start testing a new quote mid roll ad format which will give video publishers the chance to insert ads into their clips after people have watched them for at least 20 seconds. Hmm. So the odds are you will get an, uh, an ad at the beginning before the video starts. The video runs 20 seconds and then the video plays, then the ad will play. And so yeah. you'll wait till the ad finishes and then you can finish the video. Just makes me not want to look at Facebook at all. One more strike against Facebook. Yeah. So what do I do about YouTube that will play an ad before every single video that I try to click you, on? You can pay for their uh, red service, and that will be eliminated. Mm. But you have to pay. But the difference is you – but that would drive me crazy. I guess I'll be the one putting the ad in. But <laughs> if I watch a little bit of a video and then they interrupt me, yeah. 
I'm going to be mad at Facebook. They are no longer going to be my friend. Well, I will unfriend them. Hulu does that. Yeah. Yeah. So does cable television. Yeah. Right. That's why I didn't want it on Facebook. I'm already getting it everywhere else. What about me? They're also advertising in all different types of ways on that screen anyways. It just makes it more in my in my choice as a consumer. I'd say, yeah. uh, no, I don't want to watch that, and I'll move on. Then everyone will move to another form of social media. They'll, they'll go to Instagram, also owned by Facebook, right. that doesn't do that. And then when they when they put it on Instagram, then they'll go to whatever's next. Yeah, whatever's next. Oh, come on, Facebook. They're making me mad. I don't want to. I don't want to get. I don't want to go there, but. Uh, so Rex Tillerson is on the grill. Apparently. The George Foreman grill. Yeah, T-Rex T- is being, uh, being uh, interrogated. We also have uh, Sessions, Senator Sessions. Apparently that's going on right on now On another also. grill. They're yeah. not allowing uh, – we're not seeing that one really. I mean that's – there's just so much going on. Plus everyone's waiting. And the neat thing is all of the talking heads that did not see Donald Trump winning are now talking and giving the insight as to what's going to happen now. Right. With his moments away, moments away, we can't trust them anymore. Who do you trust anymore? Nobody oh, saw oh, that. Happen. An elevator is opened. There's the hairdo. There's the hair. That's Donald all you Trump. can see over the crowd is this hairdo. This floating is a big around. thing. I don't know what the format will be. Um, I, I think the format will be uh, ranting and frothing at the mouth wrong. and anger. But wrong. Will, they, will the will the press get to ask questions like oh, normal? Well, that's what they they call it a press conference. That's what a press conference is. If not, it's just a speech. Yeah, right. So they're calling it a press conference. If he just talks, then it's just a speech. Mike Pence is there. Yep. His new spokesperson, Spicer. Is that his name? Yeah. Spicy Spicer? Yeah, he's the guy that doesn't he, – he said he does not know what uh, his boss is going to tweet. And uh, when he, when you see it is when I see it, he says. Interesting. And, he, and Donald also has um, his family with him. Of course. Which it's not normal that you'd have your press conference with your family. All the kids, always. Seems like you'd have your staff, your new staff that you've been forming. Well, I mean he only hires people that he knows. True. Good Let point. me ask you a question. Please. If you didn't have a TV – but you had the phone number of somebody that had a TV. Would you call them up and ask them to describe the television show that they're watching to you? No. Okay. Why would I do that? I'm just just curious. Good. Just a little question. <laughs> just a little question for wow. us. Um, okay. So where do we go? Because Tillerson seems to be doing okay. Yeah. I haven't seen any blood and gore. The, Sessions did okay yesterday. Yes. Now, today, Cory Booker's going to take him on. We'll see what happens there. Yep. If it happens, it's going to be missed because everyone will be watching Donald in the press conference. We'll see you later. Oh, we'll see you later. Well, That's if right. anything important happens, we'll yeah. see you later. Yeah. No one's going to miss it. Um, this is all going forward, right? Even though apparently there's all this news leaking that Donald Trump may have even had somebody from his staff communicating with Russians. Did you hear about that? Well, yeah. That's part of it. Plus, well, no, it's more than that. It's yeah, that they, they've the, been working for years to cultivate him as a asset so mm. that they can manipulate the U.S. government. I mean, there's the, this report goes really in-depth. Allegedly. But in this, alleged, this report, allegedly, <laughs> in the report, there are names of cities that are wrong. There right. are buildings they, right. they quote that are in Russia that don't exist. And so it's like – Spelling errors too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. People faking Russian accents. 
they they named a member of the the Trump camp the the remember the lawyer who said so what yeah says who or says, says who? who that yeah, guy that guy he was purported to be in this communication with them and actually be gone to Russia to talk with people he says he's never been there now they're saying it's a different guy by the same name so again this <laughs> then just muddies the water yeah. and and now Trump is saying see they're just after me wasn't there also an obscene misuse of the semicolon could be yeah i mean he was on twitter <laughs> he could have gone crazy he also caps locked yesterday he was really angry yeah once you caps lock you can't go back they have a table oh they do up here it's full of folders okay good so these are all full of, of binders binders of women like Rom- yeah. romney no 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 these are like manila folders okay i don't know what it is but We'll find out. Okay, let's just take a break from that then, and let's go to. I miss Trump steaks. Yeah, and have, water. Have you ever? Have you ever in your car as you're driving ever set a goal to like drive home without hitting one red light? Um, I try no. not to hit anything in my car. <laughs> I try just not to get angry. That's that's a great goal too. Yeah, because when I'm driving here. I only have one red light that I can hit. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, I have about 20, but they're all in Provo. Right. Once so, you hit the freeway. But every hit. once in a while, you can run the gauntlet, and you can do almost all of them. So so I've had this goal before. There was a guy in New York City, an Uber driver, and he's boasting that he drove through 240 green lights before hitting one red light. Wow. Can you believe that? I guess he recorded it. In New York City. There he goes, right up Park Avenue. Now, how do you... It's a 27-minute drive is how, how he took it. Yeah. Not one red light. Hmm. Foreman, um, Noah Foreman is his name. He did it on December 6th. He recorded his early morning journey on video. The recording shows him slowing to a crawl on some blocks to avoid hitting a red, taking numerous turns to avoid having uh, his path blocked as he was going forward. And the city Department of Transportation didn't immediately respond to the query about the viability of his claim. <laughs> Is it true? Can, can it happen? Can this be possible? Yeah. Anyway, uh, two years ago, he said he, he hit 186 green lights in wow. a row. Wow. So this beat his record. A, is it possible? B, who cares? Yeah. His ultimate goal, 500 red lights. Hey. You He's have, going to avoid 500 lights. got to have goals in life. All he needs to do is move to Nebraska. That's an easy one. Right. You won't hit a red light for years. Just lots of open planes. Come on. Okay, we will take a break. Come back. When we come back, we'll be replaying an interview we did with Stephen Stosny about uh, how to influence your partner to get stuff done, but how to do it without being coercive, manipulative, bartering, persuasive, all these things that could get a little ugly. Stick with us. everybody to the Matt Townsend show. We can work it out. We don't have to fight. But many times in our marriages, we are all, uh, you know, we want to be influenced or we want to influence our partner. We want, sometimes we want, we just want our idea to prevail, right? We want to, let's just, can we just do it this way? Can we, can we eat here tonight instead of there? 
Anyway, uh, whether it's you know arguing over home repairs or where we spend our money or what television show to watch, sometimes voicing opposing views with your partner creates a lot of contention, leads to a lot of arguments. So how do we try to influence our partners to, to do what we want to do, but how do we do it in a healthier way? Not manipulate, not try to coerce them, not ignore them. Well, who better to teach us than uh, Dr. Stephen Stosny, one of, uh, I, I truly believe, America's great experts in the study of human relations and compassion. And uh, he's he's a, a great author and um, writer on psychologytoday.com. Dr. Stosny uh, believes that when people feel valued, they tend to cooperate more. And he joins us today to help us uh, work through some methods of truly learning to negotiate with our partner instead of coercing and manipulating. Dr. Stephen Stosny, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Oh, well, thank you. Great, great to have you on the show. I love, I love your work, and uh, I'm familiar with a lot of it. I, and I, I, think, I think you're on to something here, don't you? Because we're, we're going to try to influence our partner one way or the other. It's just some of the ways we try it, they're not very healthy. Uh, ab- absolutely. You know, I began my career with highly distressed couples uh, and finally worked my way back to trying to prevent that from happening. What causes relationships to be destroyed is resentment, and resentment begins to accumulate in the way that we make behavior requests. Uh, and it's not so much the language, you know, how do I say it? It's the assumptions. Mm. Uh, you have to assume that your rights, privileges, tastes, preferences are equal to your partner's, but not superior, not inferior. And if you assume that they're equal, the way that you negotiate is more respectful and you're appreciative of the cooperation you get. If you assume that your rights are superior or that you're entitled then you're going to get resistance because you're going to devalue, manipulate, uh, coerce, or, or, uh, or, or threaten in some way. Uh, and that builds resentment. And, and, yeah, nobody wants to feel like your ideas are always diminished. So it just seems like inevitably that's going to create pull. But it's kind of like when you push on somebody or even when you start to, you know, uh, like lean on somebody, they're going to naturally lean back and start pushing back on you. Um, so you're trying to teach us there. There's other ways to get people to move and have movement than than more of the, some of the more manipulative ways. Yes, uh, and and to sum it up easily, it's value and respect. Mm. Your your ideas are as important as mine. Here's why I would like to do it this way. Is that does that work for you? Or can we find a way that works for both of us? That's the goal of negotiation, that nobody feels taken advantage of, put upon, or distressed about it. It's the best for both of us. Now, that might not be the optimal choice for one of us, mm-hmm. but it's the best for both of us. And, I mean, I guess the idea, too, I, it would seem like if if my partner's willing to give for me on this one issue of where we eat for dinner, then I could just as easily give on another issue. And and we and then we can shows, just keep doing that. You're more likely to. Mm-hmm. You're more likely. Well, just don't forget about the research. Just look at your own experience. If someone is valuing and respectful to you, uh, there's a law of emotional reciprocity. You are likely to return it. 
And if someone's demanding to you, you're likely to resist. Hmm. Do you, what is it, do you think, Dr. Stasny, that, that drives us to turn even the simplest things into a competition or, you know, kind of a battle, a war? Well, uh, th- there's a lot of factors. One is I think we live in a culture of entitlement where uh, we're, uh, our views, our feelings, our ideas are superior to other people's. You know, and you get a lot of reinforcement on that in, in politics. Uh, right. And, and uh, that's, that's a real polarization that pundits talk about. It's, it's, I, uh, it's virtually a toddler standoff. One person <laughs> says, mine or my way, and the other says, no. This is the favorite two words of the toddler. It's so true. It's so true. And then we, but we feel, we feel that entitlement, and then we argue our position as if, it's factual, like, yeah, it, it, and then right, that gets as, aggressive. As if, it, as if it's from the voice of God. Right, exactly. Uh, and instead of just seeing it as a preference. Uh, and what you want, though, is not submission. See, when uh, there's other ways of, of negotiating coercion, manipulation, and all of those. They require submission. Somebody has to give in. But you don't want that in an intimate relationship because submission always breeds resentment. What you want is cooperation that's willing to do something for the good of of you or for our relationship. Hmm. Actually, it works better if it's for the good of our relationship. Well, and it seems like that might actually spark more creativity. So it's not my way or your way. Let's find a new way. Absolutely. Uh, an example of something you do for your relationship rather than your partner is, uh, I don't like ballet, but my relationship likes ballet. Oh, interesting, yeah. <laughs> and when I go to the ballet, my relationship is really improved, and the relationship nurtures me. Now, if I did that for my wife, you know, I'd resent it. You know, I, why do I have to be here uh, for this three hours of people hmm. leaping around on the stage? But if I see it as, uh, we're both in a good mood. We go have a nice dinner. We get dressed up, go to the Kennedy Center in Washington, have a nice time after. Then I'm getting a lot more out of it because the relationship nurtures me. So I have to nurture the relationship. That's such an interesting idea because it also it, it kind of, I guess, um, puts the fact that the relationship is it's a third entity. It in, absolutely is. In, in, instead of me getting what I need. I've got to decide if I want a relationship. Yeah, it's not. Uh, I think one of the, the the terrible things about the culture of toddlerhood is uh, getting my needs met. Uh, you have to think more in terms of getting the relationships needs met, uh, and that's going to be good for both individuals. It's like a, a fruit orchard. If you nurture it, it'll feed you. Hmm. I I just saw this in a class I was teaching last night to couples where. I was trying to teach an idea very similar to this that you know you have to honor you have to honor the relationship if you want the relationship to grow but but then what people immediately answer is like well so I'm supposed to just keep giving even though I'm not liking this certain part and I thought to myself wow it, that's not I mean don't you don't have to submit but yeah, if you want a relationship to work, it's different than just being alone and, and getting everything you want. Well, it, if the relationship is viable, there's going to be emotional reciprocity. Yeah. 
uh, when people say I give, give, give and don't get anything in, in return, usually they're giving with strings attached. Not always, but that's usually the case. In other words, I'm not doing this for you out of love or kindness. I'm doing it because I expect you to give me something in return. Uh, you know, it's like my Italian relatives making <laughs> an offer you can't refuse. <laughs> That's right. You, <laughs> That's you really can't refuse it. With the baseball bat on the table. That's right. <laughs> That's not <laughs> negotiation. That's coercion. Mm. Uh, when people are generally compassionate and kind, if they have an emotional bond with each other, it's very difficult to be self-centered and self uh, uh, self-obsessed. It's possible, but it's difficult. But you know, the real measure isn't what you. Uh, the measure of your well-being is really you doing what you believe in your heart is right. right. Even if your partner is in a place where he or she can't respond positively to it. Uh, in the long run, that prevents regret. You feel much better about yourself because you're doing the right thing. The way I like to put that is you never want to be the partner you think your partner deserves. Uh-huh. <laughs> you want to be the partner you most want to be. Because it, then you're, you're, it seems like then you're aligned to your belief system. A- absolutely. And then, then that, to me, that's where the peace comes from, right? Right. And, and a lot, whenever you violate your own deeper values, you automatically experience guilt, shame, or anxiety. Hmm. Now, it's hard to see those in relationships because they usually get expressed as resentment and anger. But under the resentment and anger is that guilt, shame, and anxiety for doing what you believe isn't right. So, and then you take that guilt, shame, and anxiety and a lot of times redirect it to them and make always, it about your partner, always. right? <laughs> wow. Almost always. Most of the resentment in relationships is because in reaction to you, I become someone I don't really like. Mm -hmm. And I'm disgusted by it. But then I say, that's you. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And and that's the cycle, huh? And so um, we can make it about, I guess, we can fight about whatever. But in the end, maybe the first thing we should do is go inward and find out, well, what do I want to be like? What are my values? Yeah, what kind of person and what kind of partner, what kind of parent do I most want to be deep in my heart? Uh, and those are, we call those core values. That's, you've got to be true to those because your strongest emotions are guardians of them. Whenever you violate them, you're going to feel guilt and shame, and the guilt and shame produces anxiety, resentment, and anger. Stick with us, folks. Doing what we can to help you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives, and see the good in the world, for heaven's sakes. We'll take a break. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We can work it out. We don't have to fight. But many times in our marriages, we are all, uh, you know, we want to be influenced or we want to influence our partner. We want, sometimes we want, we just want our idea to prevail, right? We want to, let's just, can we just do it this way? Can we, can we eat here tonight instead of there? Anyway, uh, whether it's, you know, arguing over home repairs or where we spend our money or what television show to watch, sometimes voicing opposing views with your partner creates a lot of contention, leads to a lot of arguments. 
So how do we try to influence our partners to to do what we want to do, but how do we do it in a healthier way? Not manipulate, not try to coerce them, not ignore them. Well, who better to teach us than uh, Dr. Stephen Stosny, one of, uh, I, I truly believe, America's great experts in the study of human relations and compassion. And uh, he's he's a, a great author and um, writer on psychologytoday.com. Dr. Stosny uh, believes that when people feel valued, they tend to cooperate more. And he joins us today to help us uh, work through some methods of truly learning to negotiate with our partner instead of coercing and manipulating. Dr. Stephen Stosny, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Oh, well, thank you. You've done um, you've done some great work, if I recall, with um, abusers. Yes, that's how I started working with abusers, and and they have loads of resentment. Yeah, uh, they believe well, they have entitlement too. See, resentment and entitlement go together because if you're entitled to something, you know, special consideration or your rights are superior. Once you're over five and not cute anymore, <laughs> the world's not going to meet your entitlement needs. So that's going to make you resentful. That's so true. <laughs> and the more resentful you get, the less cooperation you're going to get because resentful people aren't that pleasant to be around. Yeah. But you can turn it. You, you have success in, you call it compassion um, theory, or but you, you have success in because the person has to go inward and look at their own issues and their own patterns and their own projections. Yeah, and, and what turns people around is when they really realize that you like yourself much better when you're compassionate to someone you love than when you're resentful toward them. Whether or not they deserve the resentment is not the real issue. You don't like yourself being resentful. Hmm. And that tells you something. Your emotions are trying to tell you that this might be justified, but it's not good for you. That's it. And, but then, but then you, it almost seems like you go from kind of the moral desire to be compassionate to your logic, which is, well, that's not fair. And, but it doesn't matter if it's fair or not. You've got to go by your morality. That's right, because and that survival base goes back to when we had to stay in very tight social units to survive. So when you do something to jeopardize that, like devalue someone you love, you're going to feel that guilt, shame, and anxiety. But those are not punishments. They're really motivations to connect. Whenever you feel guilty, for any reason at all, you know, you might see an attractive actress on TV when you're sitting next to your wife, mm-hmm. and you're going to have, you know, you're a human, you're going to have a little bit of attraction, and you'll feel a little bit of guilt about that. All you have to do is reach out and touch your hand, and the guilt immediately goes away. But if you start thinking that, you know, this actress would laugh at my jokes more than my wife does, <laughs> then it gets worse. It's, yeah, because yeah, you're feeding the wrong narrative, I guess. You're feeding right. the wrong story. The, the guilt's a distance regulator. It's telling you to get closer. If you go farther apart and resentment drives you farther apart, it gets worse. If you get closer, it gets better. Oh, man, Stephen. I, I, this is why I love your stuff because it's almost counterintuitive to what society you know, justifies. Like even the political process, you're seeing just so much justification even against morality, and you sit there and you think, holy cow, if we just keep telling this story, we're going to set ourselves up for bigger pain, more guilt. Absolutely. 
because it's your your the motivation of guilt in a lo- love relationship is to get closer uh but we you're you're right we uh, on a national level we feel guilty if we do something inhumane so we have to justify it just the fact that you have to justify an emotion is telling you that it's not good for you mm. yeah. you never have to justify compassion no it's always right Right. You don't have to go into work and say, no, I know what came over me last night. My wife pushed my buttons and I took her perspective and mm-hmm. sympathized with her. It wasn't the real me. Maybe, Stephen, it's, and help me with this, because uh, probably a lot of people feel like, if I'm, but if I'm compassionate, I'm just going to get rolled. I'm just going to get taken advantage of. But it, I can be compassionate and be done. Assertive. Exactly. We call it compassion assertiveness. Assertiveness. See, see the, the difference with just being aggressive or just getting my needs met and compassion assertiveness is that you recognize that your rights, privileges, and preference are equal to, not inferior to, and not superior to your partner. Huh. They're equal. Uh, and then you stand up for the equality rather than my superior rights. Huh. And you can... Yeah, I don't have to tear your ideas down, which turns us into, I guess, you know, you know, manipulative, coercive techniques. Instead, oh, well, I can just it, yeah, evaluate at, at it. Best, it turns you into adversaries where mm-hmm. you have to try to argue a case, and that never works in a marriage because you don't have a judge and jury living with you or <laughs> <So> <laughs> true. decide the case on equity and and uh, precedent. Uh, you know, another book of yours I love is um, about how to improve your marriage without talking about it. Just just address the fact that sometimes not talking about it might be, and I'm not, I'm not even avoiding it, I'm, I'm not even trying to avoid it, but the talking about it itself makes stuff more real. Well, well it, actually it makes them more distorted yeah. because... Uh, what we've learned in neurology in the past decade is that focus amplifies and magnifies. Whatever you focus on becomes more important than what you're not focused on. And that's a problem in negotiation because everything you're going to negotiate about be- seems to be more important than it really is huh. just because of the focus. So uh, what, what we try to do is you never start to negotiate with your partner without uh, just in your head, running through all the good things he or she brings to your relationship, what you love about them. Uh, I call it the palette of your relationship. It's like an artist's palette with a lot of different colors. Some of those colors you love, some of them are okay, some of them you don't like. Right, right. But you bring, you bring the whole palette to the, the negotiation, not just the ones you don't like. And so that's like an exercise then that we could do before we go try to influence or have a conversation is make sure we bring the full palette in and, and go intentionally create compassion prior yeah. to the conversation. And that brings the, that uh, obviates that artificial uh, distortion of focus that brings the problem down to its proper proportion. It, you know, one of the sad things about marital conflict is that most of what people fight about, they can't remember. <laughs> so true. <laughs> because they're not fighting about, you know, what they tell researchers, money, sex, jealousy, raising the kids, and loss and division of labor. It, they're really, those things cause disconnection. What they're fighting about is the pain of the disconnection. Hmm. Uh, and the more they introduce facts without trying to connect, uh, the, the worse it's going to get. 
And it, it, yeah, it has to, right? I mean, that's you're yeah. not you're in the smoke. I call it. Yes, it's not about the facts. It's about the belief that you don't care about how I feel. Mm. And the trap that that couples get into is, I resent you for not caring about how I feel. But while I'm resentful, I don't care about how you feel. That's true. <laughs> So you're saying you absolutely, I don't care about how you feel, but you absolutely must care about how I feel. Yeah, it's so hypocritical. And yet we don't see the hypocrisy, do we? We, it's, we just, because we're so in it. No, no, it just seems so right. Because, and the problem with that is if you just recognize the guilt and shame, those are vulnerable emotions and, and compassion and kindness will immediately alleviate them. But we regulate them the way toddlers do with resentment and anger. And resentment and anger require an attribution of blame. You can't have anger without blame. Formula for anger is any vulnerable emotion, even physical pain, plus blame equals anger. Mm. Take away blame, and it's those other emotions. Man, Stephen, we need more time with you. (laughs) This is good stuff. Um, Well, we appreciate your insight. Uh, Give us the one thing. What's one thing we can do, all of us in our relationships today, to to maybe mend the fence, to, um, to bridge that gap with our loved one today? Well, I, th- this is an easy thing to do because, uh, you know, research shows that, that people don't fight about words. They, they fight about emotional demeanor because our brains make a judgment about what the other person is going to say before the part of it that interprets the meaning of the words is activated. So it's an emotional response. So you want to have a positive emotional demeanor and the way to do that is is to get some image of your spouse uh where that you appreciate he or she did something that that you really appreciate and before you talk about something emotional keep that in your mind you don't have to mention it Hmm. just hold it in your mind that you know for me my wife took me to the hospital with a uh kidney stone oh. she stayed with me she was in the middle of the night falling asleep and it made it so much better she was with me so i think of that I think of her nodding to keep, <laughs> keep awake yeah and it fills me with appreciation i don't have to say anything because my demeanor around her is a lot more open accepting caring nurturing mm. and and it, it is it's that simple it's it's having that thought right and then that, that'll change the demeanor. like that. Yeah. Oh, man. Good stuff. Dr. Stephen Stosny, thank you again for your time. And uh, everybody, go, go look up his books. There, there really are. There are so many of them. Love Without Hurt um, and The Powerful Self. Just, just find him on Amazon. You can also go look him up on um, Psychology Today. He truly is. He's, he's important. He's essential uh, in this world of human development and relationships. He's, he's, he's the guy bringing compassion back into our relationships, so we appreciate him. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back. Visit our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, it's uh, my great honor to take it now down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem, who are preparing for their show at the top of the hour. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, let me finish Spencer's uh, done my got, string cheese. He's done okay? got the oh, yeah. string cheese and the banana. <laughs> he has a black cherry Shasta as well. Ooh, play-by-play. Are you doing play-by-play? And the water. 
Is he? This is quite the uh, lineup. What a lunch pre-show. Well, did that's breakfast, right? I guess that's breakfast for you guys, huh? Yeah, I know you've been up since like yeah. four a.m. Yeah, I did. So your sleep body's last like, night. it is time for a second meal. Yeah, it's time for a nap and a second meal. Hey guys, um, here's a question for you. I know you're really busy watching the Trump um, news. Uh, what do they call it? News conference. So engaged. Yeah, so engaged. You know we're all over that. Oh yeah. Plus uh, the hearings for all of his people. More importantly, I read a story, and I want your take on this. Apparently, the NBA is doing a study on having five referees in the game. Oh, boy. Have you heard about this? No. Five referees? Yeah. No. Don't do it. What do they have now? Three, right? Mm -hmm. Three. So five will make it even better. How? No, uh, no it won't. <laughs> so they're more testing, whistles. Slows it down. They're going to test it with four and five referee initiative, and it's their des- it's their desire. It's the research and development arm of the NBA, uh, and they're just trying to test it out to see if it makes the game better. Why can't they just add one if they're going to make an addition? Why does it have to go from three to five? Well, I think they're testing four. They're using the D-League, and they're testing four, and they're testing five. But isn't it crazy because they also have – can't they do uh, a review of plays as well, right? So why do we need five? It just seems like a lot of sweaty the people The NBA does stripes. not need five referees. <laughs> I agree. Kyle Collinsworth is in the NBA Developmental League, so maybe he'll – Maybe he'll have five. Kyle Collinsworth shot a record 47 free throws last night with wow. the five referees in the game. <laughs> future headlines. You, we're making up future headlines now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, apparently it's, I guess, a problem that, uh, you know, we, I guess we'll get more travels. Maybe we'll figure out how LeBron does that extra step. That didn't help him last night against the Jazz. No, it didn't. Isn't you, it funny how it's just yes, on a fast break, it's okay to take three steps in the NBA? Well, sure. If you dunk it and it's like high-flying above the rim, like they overlook all of that. Oh, yeah, you can do any uh, – but I, it's funny because we drill it into our kids that you can't. Two can. steps. Two steps. Yeah. Well, it's two-ish steps. And then they're person. always like quoting Le- – well, LeBron can. Well, LeBron's if different. If you have your own lifetime shoe deal, you can take that many steps as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then you're like, do you have a shoe deal, son? No. If you sign a $90 million contract with Nike before you've even played one second in the NBA, generally you can do some things that others can't. Okay, yeah. See? See? A parenting tip. That's just a tool (laughs) you can give your kids. Okay, here's another question for you on officiating while we're at it. Okay. Because I was at my son's game. Oh, boy. Isn't it possible that every time two kids are holding the ball simultaneously for a second, it's not always a jump ball, is it? When we were younger— you could like wrestle around yeah, for a second. Yeah, wrestle it. Yeah. And then it would be a jump. Not now, now, now it's like, like if you touch the ball at the same time for a split second, yeah. jump ball. Now it's kind of annoying. And what happens when they're both actually in the air as one's going in for a shot and the other kind of grabs the ball and they're in the air and it's an air jump ball? What do you do there? An air jump ball? Everything in this game the other day was a jump ball. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I think it was. I think the official only had one call. Yeah. He, well, he, the, that ref was probably from the West Coast Conference. The good point. I didn't even think of that. I did not even think of that. It happens. It happens. Come on. It's hard you to gotta, get a good official in Little League, one. too. Come on. Um, so your show— Those are the training grounds for the West Coast Conference. Is, they, they start in, in the local gym here in yeah. uh, Draper, uh-huh. Utah. That yeah. makes sense. Uh-huh. Totally makes sense. Yep. Um, so you're still going to do your show today, right? Um, 
I mean, me think would, about that just for a second. With cheese on your breath? Ah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one. I think we'll go ahead and okay, do let's it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. What's on the show? I'm sure mm. it's nothing but mm. excitement. Well, now but, that we've decided to do it, we should probably yeah. come up with something, right? Yeah, I thought you guys would have thought about it a little bit. Well, we, we do have uh, two-time National League MVP Dale Murphy joining Holy us today. Big so league. there's that. Yeah, there's just that little thing. And we have 3J Haas, the Ginger Mamba, the Ginger Ninja, <laughs> TJ Haas, also on the program. Wow. So loaded guest lineup. Plus. <laughs> that sounded like six people. Yeah, yeah. But I guess it's just one? It's, it's one man. Okay. Plus, uh, we are listed on IMDb now, oh, wow. and uh, people are rating the show, so we'll tell you what the rating is. Wow. Uh, and uh, our NFL Super Bowl champion friend, Dennis Pitta, who wants to be a co-host on the show. He wants to replace me, specifically. Does he? He's, he's, uh, he's targeted you. What, he responds on social media to the IMDb page, okay? We'll weigh in on that. Plus, <laughs> he'll weigh in on that. Plus... David Nixon yesterday made a comment about how Utah has switched its offense coordinator. He joked the last 30 years. The reaction from Utah fans, including one Utah football player on Twitter, about that. Come wow. We, we were just looking at your, your IMDb page. Mm-hmm. It's a great rating. What it's is it right now? 9.2. 9.2? Oh, yeah. it was 9.4. Hey, we're but going it, down. at least it's above 9. And 89% we, tomatoes. We just want to hang with Breaking Bad. <laughs> You're right up there with a the meth dealer, yeah. guys. <laughs> that show was amazing. <laughs> that is so sad, but so true. Um, so my favorite show ever. That's that's cool. You're on. I mean, that's about as that's big league. Like you're up there. I mean, well, Oprah. Uh, come on, like thirty reviews. We'll take it. Mel we'll Gibson. Yeah, yeah, there thousand reviews. When we get 30. to a thousand reviews, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Listen, we, come on. It's just never going to happen. We're just well, getting, sure. this show's just getting going. Three years. This year four. We're just getting going. Yeah, how do you do that? How do you get on IM? I have no idea. You Somebody must... creates the page, I guess. I, I rated I don't it. Know. I rated it. I was about to write a review, and then it said you need ten lines of text, and I was like, I'm not going to write. 10 it's a lot lines of work text about this show. <laughs> ten, even though you're the host. I because I started to write like <laughs> the talent are fine, the contents meh. Like I started to write this. That Jared Jordan is incredible review, and it said ten lines. So you know what? Like, it, nah, I'm out. Sounds like something you could delegate to your your team. Your staff. Yeah. yeah, take the Lavelle approach, Jerem. Delegated. Yeah, you might you might want to do it because Pitt. But is, it's under my login. So but if Pitt is after you, you got to be careful. Well, he's not after us. Always he's trust your assistants. With us, but doesn't he? But I think he, you said he wants your job. Yeah, but come on. What if what if what if Pitta puts his up? <laughs> I'm way better. Look, I'm way better looking than Dennis. Dennis Pitta. Boy, yeah, he's bad to the what bone. A, what a character, he's man. Busy. You know, character. He's not as busy now. <laughs> yeah. Well, come on the show then. <laughs> he he is. probably will. <laughs> Dennis, the menace. <gasps> Are you going to call him out? Oh, oh we, always. We call him we out always every day. call him Jerem out. especially. Jerem, I'm going to miss you, man. <laughs> Dennis Pitta. Dude, he's a, a tight end. What is, he is that what he even is? A done? tight end? You know what I mean? Like, is he even good? Other than break a couple of team records for the Ravens this year and catch a touchdown in the Super Bowl, he's done he's nothing. He's doing okay. Do also, I, he's the he's the most accomplished a tight end in has, NCAA history as well. Has he even done anything? <laughs> do I have a signed photo of him on my desk? Maybe. Maybe like, you do. What? <laughs> okay. Man. Well, I. You know what? I. No matter what, I think you, I think he did a great job on the show, Jerem. It was a really fun run. I'd like to thank uh, <laughs> the little people. 
first uh, the big man upstairs. In the Hollywood you know, every, Foreign yeah. Press. In the Hollywood Foreign Press. <laughs> We're going to be left to watch football, which actually got a bigger rating yes. and has more viewers yes. than anything. Yeah. All, all that will be left to watch in Los Angeles is football and mixed martial arts. There you go. <laughs> See, that's right. the national title Thanks. pulled a fifteen. Meryl and that Streep. was a low number. So <laughs> disrespecting yeah. mixed martial arts. I mean, that's you don't. That's you don't touch. Don't that. attack. Just yes. don't go on attack. The yeah. artist. Yes, you'll be left with football, yes. which mm. rules the galaxy. Mm. <laughs> football is super boring. <laughs> you guys are such elitists. Oh my heavens. Okay, I got to let you go. Go do your show. Knock hey, them down. Will. Thank you. Peace out. Yeah, boy, they brought in a little Meryl Streep. That's rare. And she sounded like Thurston Howell the Third for yeah. some reason. Did, she, did, did he say lovey? <clears throat> lovey. Hey, uh, crazy story. Man wanted for robbing a bank while wearing a polar bear hat. And apparently the FBI are seeking information about a man who caught, was caught on surveillance robbing a bank wearing a polar bear hat. Massachusetts Most Wanted shared the photo of the man who was seen wearing the hat. By the way, it was a white bear face and it had ear flaps. He was described as a short man with the build and light complexion, uh, maybe more like a bear cub kind of body. Um, any tips regarding his identity were encouraged. Uh, you're encouraged to contact the FBI. He is, by the way, apparently um, a new model for our latest sponsor. Are you planning to rob a convenience store but are stumped about what to wear? As every crook knows, you only have one chance, approximately four and a half minutes, to make a first impression. So make it a good one, and buy your next disguise at the Crook Closet, the only store where criminals can find the outfits they need to feel more confident on the job. Come in now and choose from some of our more popular disguises, such as Chewbacca, Deadpool, and the timely Donald Trump mask. Not only will they keep your identity safe, but they also make great conversation starters. So while you're breaking the law, you'll have the perfect outfit to break the ice. The Crook Closet, the store where you can shop first and ask questions later. By the way, they wanted us to, to know that they didn't put this on the commercial, but they take no responsibility if these crooks are, in fact, captured and taken to prison. Yeah, no, they just provide outfits. Right. I mean, they're not. They didn't conspire. They haven't done anything no. illegal. I also, they when they called us today, they also said, if you are interested in the polar bear hat and costume, you, you got to move fast because they're going quickly. They're, they're flying off the shelf. Mm-hmm especially in the greater Boston, Massachusetts area. It's great. Crook Closet. It's good to have great sponsors. Hey, as we wrap up the show, you know we like to always end with a hero story. This hero story is from Fox 4 News in um, Burleson. An 85-year-old man is credited with saving the lives of two women from a fiery crash. The man who uses a cane to get around saw the out-of-control car flip over in his front yard. That's when he decided to ignore the flames and rush in to help. The 22-year-old driver and her passenger were driving around a curve um, in uh, Burleson in Johnson County when she lost control, flipped over into Lindell Marbet's driveway. Car landed right there, and it started on fire, they said. And uh, the old uh, gentleman ran around, um, 85 years old, by the way. Uh, he, got, he went in there, drug them out uh, into a garage away from the car. He said, I just couldn't believe it. He could barely walk. And this guy who uses a cane is getting work, getting to biz, getting to work here and pulling these people out. By the time the firefighters arrived, both women were safely out of the burning car. 
Even first responders were stunned. For him to do that on his own was absolutely amazing. Anyway, he is the hero of the day. Unidentified uh, 85-year-old man saving people's lives, my friends. That's what it's about. We all can be a hero. The most important hero, though, is just a good citizen and a great uh, human being. So do what you can today to make to be the best you can be. We'll be back tomorrow. More ideas and uh, giving you more information to, to make a better life for yourself and those around you. Until then, take care of each other. We'll talk tomorrow. <laughs>